Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast for the last time in 2021. And this week's episode is sponsored by footballprizes.co.uk. In this week's draw, you can win a fantastic signed and framed Dean Ashton shirt. Tickets are just £4.95 each and only 99 tickets will be sold, which gives you a fantastic chance of winning. Entries close at 7.30pm on Tuesday, the 28th of December. At 7.30pm on Tuesday, the 28th of December. And the winner will be announced an hour later live on the Football Prizes Facebook page. There have been some fantastic signed pieces from Paolo Di Canio, Declan Rice, Vladimir Soufal, Saeed Benrahma and loads more up for grabs since their launch. So head on over to footballprizes.co.uk to check them out. Well, James, it is that time again, the very last show of the year. It seems like only yesterday we were doing the exact same for 2020. I remember those heady days, mate, looking back, thinking, blimey, COVID will be long gone by this time next year and we can all get on with our lives properly. But how wrong we were. I listened back to last year's one only yesterday, James, last year's end of season review and Honestly, the fact that it's only been 12 months since then is incredible. We were obviously in the, the the season had started well. It was looking up. We hadn't had Jesse Lingard yet. We hadn't finished in the European places. We hadn't signed Kurt Zuma. We were quite, there was a fondness towards David Moyes. The love was obviously growing, but there was still some clear emotional scarring from uh, the end of that season before when we narrowly escaped relegation but look where we are now Jonesy what a transformation in 12 months it's absolutely brilliant or it's been brilliant 
to do it with you all year long again, mate. We keep rumbling on on the podcast, and it frankly seems like absolutely only two minutes ago, in fact, that uh, we were doing that first ever show. I remember you invited me on to the Love Sport Radio show in Southwark, and me being all nervous. Two thousand and God, when would that have been? Early twenty nineteen, I think. Uh, me all nervous going live on air opposite you uh, chatting about football and look where we are now mate it's been an absolute roller coaster from the off it's been another brilliant 12 months particularly from the podcast point of view but as far as West Ham United go mate the best 12 months in living memory surely this calendar year has never been beaten certainly not since I was born in 1991. But Jonesy, it's been great having you, mate. How are you feeling? Uh, how are you feeling about the year? Um, yeah, just loads to cover. What a 12 months. Oh, mate, it's been... Yeah, it's probably been the best calendar year that I can remember. Like, just from the very beginning, I think we started the year with six wins and a bounce. And it's now... It's not ended as well as it started in terms of form. But what we've achieved between the January and December, like everything that's happened in between, it has been almost beyond our wildest dreams. Like obviously a lot of stuff and we've spoken for so many months about how far, how we're finally getting what we were promised when we moved to the stadium. Yeah. But we still kind of never really saw it coming, did we? Um, <laughs> no, no. Like we were like, we oh yeah. We feel like we deserve it, but yeah, we, we just didn't we were promised it. We deserve it, but we're, we're a million miles off of this, particularly when you scrape survival after the project restart happens in the middle of a pandemic and you're like, oh, you know, there's no way we're improving during the pandemic. Absolutely not. <laughs> and then and then look what happens, you know, like finishing sixth, getting to Europe, like just making easy work of our Europa League group. Jesse Lingard smashing it for six months at the club and you know, signing up to cut Zoom, as you said. And yeah, just so much has happened in such a short space of time that yeah, so it's very hard to, to comprehend actually what the club has achieved over the last 12 months. It's pretty mad, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well, look, over the next hour or so, uh, me and you are going <laughs> to do our very best uh, to help try and people understand and look back at what has been a phenomenal time, a phenomenal year in West Ham's history. Uh, from a personal point of view, Jonesy, it's been a bit of a strange old year again, isn't it? We were hoping, or we certainly were, like I said, I listened back, to last year's end of season review, just a little uh, recommendation, by the way. It's, it was quite a good listen. Yes, yeah, so if anyone fancies it, scroll back in the We Are West Ham podcast archives and uh, and give last year's one a bit of a listen again. It was it was pretty entertaining. It's quite funny to hear sort of our, our thoughts on a few things where we sat on some issues then and considering what's happened in between. Um, yeah, good. Uh, if anyone's at a loose end, which I'm sure you will be over the next week or so, then, uh, yeah, by all means, uh, flip back and, and have a listen to last year's one. But I think, Jonesy, the the thing what, what I'm enjoying now is the pragmatism among the fan base where even in recent times where the form hasn't been as good as you mentioned already, that everyone is sort of okay and they're a bit more understanding about it because they sort of feel like they realise everyone's trying their best from manager down to every single member in the squad, basically. Uh, there's been some prudent investment. The man leading the club is, you know, thought of so, so highly among the fans and so hugely respected for what he's done and the way he communicates with fans. 
and just the way he conducts himself generally, really, and goes about his business. The players all seem to love being there and uh, for, for just doing that basic thing that most football fans want, which is trying hard for the cause every single time they go on the pitch. Right? It doesn't always work and some people, you know, form has dipped or, or whatever, but the vast, vast majority for the vast majority of the time over the last year, you've had 15 to 20 players or whatever who made up the West Ham squad every time they took to the pitch in Claret and Blue in whatever competition it was in, trying their, their hardest and performing to a level that has made all of the fans of so, so many of the fans so, so proud to be a West Ham supporter. And I haven't had that feeling for such a long time. And mm. I know the vast majority of supporters haven't. There was a, a huge disconnect growing. Uh, and honestly, it really was interesting last year's one. Have a listen, because there was still some quite... Obviously, Tom was still with us then, and he spoke really well on a couple of issues. Uh, there was the, the the protests that we covered, um, the marches through the, uh, you know, that big, the big famous march that, that was held at London Stadium with seven or thousand West Ham fans there against the board. And we only saw it the other day, didn't we? There was 400-ish people um, that, that gathered outside. And it, that alone just shows the shift in mentality and, and feeling among the, the fan base about where their club is at at the moment. Uh, and I thought I haven't this this is at the moment the last month or so um, is the sort of flattest I think I've felt about West Ham this year and we're fifth in the Premier League and through to the Europa League knockout stages as group winners and beat Man City and Man United it's absolutely baffling isn't it because the rest of the year has just been so fairy tale stuff yeah I mean I was going to say that you're pretty much bang on in terms of, I feel like this is the year that gave West Ham fans sort of the, the pride and love that they previously had for the club, but felt like they'd lost a little bit of in particularly in recent seasons. Loads of mate. Yeah. But maybe over say the last say 10 years, even pre stadium move. Um, a lot of West Ham fans have rediscovered that their, their love and pride for this football club because of what's happened over the last 12 months in particular. Um, and I think that's that's really, really important to, to kind of recognise and look back on in that. There were a lot of fans, and you, you mentioned the the the, um, the protests last year, and see they're still going on, still plans to have more. Like, fans have genuinely believed that they'd lost the football club in their eyes. They, they'd mm. like, really had lost all hope of ever getting what had been promised and what they felt like they deserved. And, here we are now, everyone's just absolutely buzzing and you, you nail on the head when you said, you know, this is the flattest we've been all year, but we're still fifth in the league. Yeah. We're still fifth in the league. And it's like, what, what has happened over the last 12 months? But so just the, just feeling, that feeling of pride every weekend, regardless of whether it's a defeat or, or a win, just knowing that those players are putting in absolutely everything. And you're right, it's okay, sometimes it doesn't work. Um, which can be expected, but just knowing that that squad of players, that manager, that coach and staff, everyone is pulling in the same direction and they're giving absolutely everything for for the football club again, which is all we ask for as fans. And that's well, what's any happening. club, I think, isn't it, mate? Oh yeah, yeah. And I think it's just something that we've not had for a very long time 
is that sort of real like unity within the squad and the and the fans and there's a there's a connection there's a relationship between fans players manager coaching staff everyone's put in the same direction um which we haven't had for a while and this year is the year we've seen it all begin to come together a little bit um so yeah like just pride is is mm. what this year has, has brought me and you and hundreds of thousands of West Ham fans around the world that is spot on mate spot on now I've got a bit of a bad habit of uh, trying to add to something brilliant you said and just saying the same thing over and over again so I'm not going to say anything at all you, you know, I'm so proud of my football team at the moment what it's become um, yeah you, you, you've hit the nail on the head and I think the idea is, as well Jonesy one thing that's sort of a bit of a personal thing for me this year um, is, you know, I've found a seat that I like and that seems like such a small thing. But mm. I know everyone's a different type of, of West Ham fan as there are different types of football fans. Many of you who listen to this podcast are overseas. So your experience of being a West Ham supporter is different to mine. Mine has always been as a match-going fan and as a season ticket holder since I was pretty young. Um, first game I was five, yeah, five, 1997, Everton at home to all. And, and my first season ticket was when, when I was nine and I went semi-regularly up until uh, that period. And, you know, I'm, I'm 30 now. Uh, I've always gone to West Ham home games. I've had one year I haven't had a season ticket in that time, or two years um, when I went travelling and me and Dad staged a mini protest against uh, like Golda Sullivan a few years ago because we just couldn't be bothered. And all we ended up doing was buying match tickets to about 85% of the game anyway. So <laughs> it just proves more expensive to go to less games. Um, you know, away games and all that sort of thing as well. But the, the 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 going to home games is such a huge part of it for me, as it is for, for lots of fans. And this is like the third seat move that me and my dad have done. I've always gone with my dad to football. And... We've finally found a spot which ticks all the boxes. Like we're we're on the uh, the Billy Bond stand, but on the corner flag at the Bobby Moore end, about three or four rows from the front of the upper tier, and we've just sort of hit the sweet spot. It's about three seats, so the price range is is like okay, six hundred and something quid for the season. Um, the view's really good, like it's just the right amount of high up and just close enough so you can see what's going on. The atmosphere is great because you get the Bobby Moore end and that corner in front of us are still good. And most importantly, we've found some, we're sitting around some people, some really good, some really nice people who you enjoy going to football with. And the atmosphere is still good, but it was, you know, just that little bit of a feeling we had, you know, I sat in the East End Upper in the same seat for my whole Upton Park supporting career. And, uh, in that time, you obviously get to know people and everyone around us was really nice and it was great. And and I missed that at London Stadium. It felt, it didn't feel like, you know, when the old ground, you sort of felt like you were going to your family's probably a bit strong, but you know what I mean? Like a group mm. of, of people you thought a lot of and you were fond of, like sort of friends after a while. Um, yeah, and it finally, finally cracked that as well. And that's such a huge thing. And obviously the fact that we're winning games is brilliant as well, but there's no like, absolute weapons around us like there have been in some of the other places I've sat just shouting ridiculous negativity from minute one to minute 90, no matter who we're playing or beating. 
Um, yeah, and I just feel on so many fronts, mate, the club has made so many strides forward. And yeah, I know some people still won't be able to get over the, the ownership thing or whatever. But in my eyes, we were, we were owed this, all of us. We were due it because that was part of the deal to move away from Upton Park. But it's happened now. Yes, it is too late. It's later than a lot of us would like or we were expecting or that we deserved. But it's here now. So I'm not going to let the previous negativity ruin what is such a, a positive feeling that, that I've got so many have got at the moment. So, yeah, that's just another thing that's happened this year for me, mate. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely brilliant. James, podcast-wise... Um, we said this last year, which was good as well, and there was improvements. Uh, the listener numbers had gone up. They've continued to do so this year, uh, but exponentially so. The, the rate of growth and success this year has been uh, far bigger than, than last year's has. Our, our average, um, sorry, our average listenership for each and every episode, uh, the average listenership has probably increased about. 70% on last year so nearly doubled uh, our average and our top in our top 10 of most listened episodes ever I think seven of them have come from 2021 which is absolutely great to be honest mate I mean we've always sort of done this haven't we just to just because we could really we enjoyed meeting yeah. up and having chat about West Ham every week um, we get a lot of positive messages about people who like what we do so that's that's all right for us really you know we're not earning um, a fortune out of it. We've still both got full-time jobs and all that sort of stuff. Uh, we get a little bit of beer money out of the adverts and and the kind people who've, who've donated through buymeacoffee.com. Uh, but yeah, it's just sort of a, an enjoyable thing for us to do, isn't it? But this year, we've had a loads of positive feedback and new listeners come on board and and stay with us. Yeah, it's been it's been massive, really. If you look at even like the YouTube channel, we launched that right at the beginning of the pandemic when we kind of switched over to from the live radio show to this, and it kind of kind of just left it to do its thing. But this year, we focused on it a little bit more, and that's grown to almost five hundred subscribers. And you know, the opposition views the most popular segment on YouTube, which is good to see. People clearly enjoy watching that. Um, but yeah, just throughout. Everything's just it's just got better and better, and you know we're seeing that in the in the reviews we get on on iTunes and stuff like that. Some of them are some of them are a lot a lot better than others. You had a good one the other day, didn't you? About uh, <laughs> oh no, we had one together, didn't we? It was like oh, you should stop now. Yeah, Shadow Six or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I then, would not recommend this to anyone. You should stop this immediately. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they're great. Like yeah, I, yeah. I, I, we, we love those just as much as we do the the positive yeah. ones. I think. Um, but it's just good that people are taking notice and, and enjoying what we do, and it makes doing it every every week a lot a lot better knowing that people are actually enjoying it, and we get people mm. sending us messages on Instagram directly, like privately, and also on um, on the on the, the podcast Instagram as well. People like interacting with us, engaging with us, and yeah. So yeah, no, it's great. It's great that it's getting bigger and better, and, and everyone's enjoying it, and looking forward to seeing how we can grow even more more next year yeah absolutely mate yeah and I, i'll be honest on that note just on the messages and stuff i never really used to buy into that that much and i used to sort of hear people like you know people on the radio say or other podcasters or whatever would say ah, oh, you know i've got messages from so and so this week and oh, i really made my week or and he used to go all right mate no tone it down a bit i'm sure a message from a, a person that you've never met before 
didn't make your week. You must have more going on in your life than that. But having had several of those, as you know, I could read off a list of names and we'll, we'll get to the thank yous a little bit later in the podcast for everyone who's contributed this year. Um, but it genuinely does a lot of mm. the time. And we were saying earlier, the negative ones make my week sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, you should just stop. And uh, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. That was that's absolutely outstanding. Um, the, you, the, the, what's it? The one about sent you your voice sending people to sleep. That was a cult classic. Wasn't Two it? different people said that this year. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. wonder what I need to do with my voice. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of my favourites. Yeah, but, that, but honestly, to some of the messages you mentioned there. It, it really gives you a, it really does give you a boost. I mentioned Rob Rees last week who, who sent me a message or sent out the podcast a message just about um, the stuff we did uh, on like when we were speaking about Isla and her horrible news the other week. Um, and I didn't even I, you know I wasn't particularly concerned about it um, before and what we'd done or whatever but Rob sent a really nice message uh, you know of just sort of saying thank you some nice words about how we approach that that subject and it really did give me it really made me feel sort of you know it really gave me a lift and that applies to most of you lot who get in touch I think just the fact that you're listening and enjoying it uh, we get a few pictures of people on long journeys or whatever and it's on the radio in the car or um, you know on the way to work or whatever and I, I think that when we get notified about that or people let us know when and how they listen. I don't know. It brings it to life for me a bit and it sort of brings it out of, because, you know, my experience of the We Always Sad podcast, certainly in more recent times, while it used to be sitting across you in a, a studio doing a live radio show, now it's looking at you for a screen most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of, I just chat. You don't, I don't, I'm not sort of putting anything on for, you, you almost forget people will eventually listen to this. You mean you just yeah. have a, semi-structured chat about West Ham and then I'd do the editing and it gets published later and and although people are listening in the meantime uh, and then it's just that sort of it until we record another one the week afterwards um yeah it's, so, not, it's nice to be reminded that people actually do listen yeah um, and we aren't just doing it for the sake of just chatting to each other Narcissism. for a couple of hours every Tuesday um people yeah. listen and people enjoy it which is the main thing Exactly, mate. Yeah, you're uh, you're absolutely spot on there. And yeah, so thanks to all the long-term listeners uh, who've been with us since the Love Sport Radio days. We know there are quite a lot of you out there who used to listen to the show um, and have come with us to the podcast as well. And uh, hello, welcome, and thank you um, equally to the, to the new guys who, who've come on board uh, this year. We'd be absolutely delighted to have all of you. And uh, yeah, I, I for one really enjoy the little community that we've got uh, that listening to the We Are Sound podcast each and every week. James, uh, before we sort of move on and get on to the actual football side of things, because we're, we're going to do an end of season review, so we'll do a similar form, excuse me, a similar format to what we did last year, where we'll go through month by month, just look at the big games, the big moments in the season, the big news stories that were breaking at the time, um, you know, how we were feeling, a little bit of a look back to how me and Jonesy were feeling as fans. Um, at all these moments and then we'll wrap up with the 2021 awards um, We Are West Ham awards which is just moment of the year and player of the year 
uh, before we say goodbye for 2021. Just a little insight. We're recording this on Christmas Eve morning. James has just told me, which has given me heart palpitations, that he's still got some shopping to do. It's currently 11.24 a.m. Uh, I'm not happy to have heard that from Jonesy whatsoever. I'm stressing because I've literally got to do a bit of washing up and tidying up before my family get here. Jonesy's got half his flipping Christmas list to do still. Um, so that's coming up on the show. Uh, yeah, a little bit of an insight that it's Christmas Eve. So if you're wondering why we're not talking about the Southampton game or whatever, it's because it hasn't taken place yet. So this episode will get released uh, probably Tuesday the 28th, I think. Um, so that'll be after the Southampton game and then there won't be another podcast until the new year, which will be the 4th or the 5th of January. Jonesy, West Ham are 5th in the Premier League at the moment. We're through to the last 16 of the Europa League. Uh, We are out of the Carabao Cup at the hands of Tottenham. Uh, We went to that game the other night, which we'll get to, but I just could have done this at the end of the show, but I wanted to do it right at the beginning, really, just to give a big thank you because as much as it's me and you who talk, on this show every week, the guests that we've had on and the other contributors to the show really make it what it is, really. And we couldn't do it. We could do it without them. It would just be me and you talking at each other two hours a week for a year. That's in excess of 100 hours of just me and you. And I think that's uh, too much for anyone to bear. So I just want to say thanks to the guests we've had this year. We've had the rib man, Kieran Maguire, the football finance expert from the Price of Football podcast. He was fantastic. That episode got some really good feedback. We've had WHU ISA chair Sue Watson came on. West Ham legends, Tony Cotty, John Moncur, Tony Carr, Pat Holland, uh, they've all been with us. Martin Allen, Craig Forrest as well, as far as the ex-players go. Brilliant talking to all of them. Dylan Tombidi's mum, Tracy. Isla Caton's mum, Nikki. They joined us as well uh, to talk about the work and the money, the fundraising efforts we've been doing through the Betway Charity Bets. Chad Yeomans from Chad uh, from Betway, excuse me. Uh, he's been phenomenal. The, the support Betway have given the podcast with the Charity Bet section, which is brilliant they signed up again for this season which we're delighted about chad has been superb with us throughout the whole time we've been with betway andy Byrne from hammers united came on and spoke to us after he went on talk sport he got a lot of kickback from that uh, and andy was good enough to come on and, and sort of talk about that experience and a bit more about the gsb out movement and hammers united plans former premier league referee mark halsey joined us to talk about some sketchy decisions earlier in the season and Britain's Got Talent finalist James Smith logged in for an interview with Jonesy as well from a journalist side of things for Jacob Steinberg from The Guardian massively respected Tom Clark from Football London West Ham correspondent Jack Rosser the West Ham guy from the Evening Standard as well he's been great Isabel from Isabel Barker from The Sun Catherine Batty from The Daily Mail Nancy Gillen have all come on and added to our brilliant West Ham women coverage and the Athletics, Rashane Thomas as well, the West Ham correspondent over there. And that is not to mention the hundreds uh, or probably tens, actually, I don't want to go over the top, the tens and tens of opposition views that we've had each and every week, whether it be local journalists of the team we're playing or podcasters just like us, bloggers, whatever it might be. As James has already mentioned, the uh, we the opposition views section on YouTube is the most watched videos that we do. So you're obviously loving those. And again, 
couldn't do those without the people who give up their time to join us each and every week. And finally, last but not least, um, Reese Bayliss and Tom Edwards. Tom was with us for the first part of 2021. He really added to the show. He was a favourite, popular guy amongst all of you lot. Unfortunately, we did have to part ways uh, at the end of the season, but there's this sort of no animosity there. Um, between us and Tom, it was just one of those things that, that had to happen for the good of the podcast, really. Um, and but we're still, you know, the chat to Tom, and there's no reason why he couldn't pop on at another stage this time next year. Reese came in and joined us for the beginning of uh, this season. The plan was that he would be there. Uh, long term, but unfortunately for some personal reasons, Reese had to step away from the podcast not long after he joined, but we thank him nonetheless for his efforts. And I said last but not least then, but this is last and certainly not least is thanks to you guys, the listeners. We absolutely love that you download it every week. We love the feedback we get from you as we've already covered. Um, so we just want to say, start the show by saying a big, big happy Christmas. We hope you had a good one and we hope you have a superb new year and that 2022 is everything you want from it. Uh, from West Ham, from your personal lives. We know it's been hard the last couple of years. It seems at times like we're on the edge of it, on the edge of getting out of it. And then uh, as we're, we're experiencing at the moment, you kind of plunge back in. But uh, yeah, me and Jonesy, our thoughts and, and hopes and uh, support for whatever you're doing next year, that we'll be with you the whole way along. The We Are West Ham podcast will be here for another 12 months, whether you want it to or not. Um, so thanks again everyone and let's get in the meat of the show bit of housekeeping jonesy twitter at we are underscore west ham instagram we are west ham pod facebook search we are west ham podcast youtube do exactly the same for all those clips that jonesy was just talking about you can email us if you so wish like a few of you have this year at we are west ham pod at gmail.com with whatever you want to say really just say hello if you want to tell us about something do it most of the time you'll get a shout out on the pod uh, so you can do that if you want. Links to all the ways you can follow and contact uh, We Are West Ham are included in the description to this podcast. And as I always say, normally we say you can buy us a beer and support the podcast at buymeacoffee.com slash We Are West Ham. You can still do that. You will still be able to do that next year. But if you're thinking of doing that at the moment, you're thinking of feeling a little bit festive uh, and you were going to do something like that around Christmas time, don't. Donated to Isla instead. Uh, they're just giving, everyone knows where they're just giving is. The link to that will be in the description to this pod as well. Just give some money to her because that cause is, of course, far more uh, important than uh, than a couple of pints for, for me and Jonesy. So, you know what's coming up on the show. We've done our thank yous. That was one of the longest intros of the year. Jonesy's furious because he's got to get down to Asda's to buy the rest of his birthday present, uh, Christmas presents, should I say. Um, Jonesy, are you, before we move on to the football, uh, I assume you're nipping to Asda's. Is that for your wife's Christmas presents, is it? Or just everyone you know is getting Asda's gift cards? No, no I've, done, I've done all my Christmas shopping. It's just I, I completely forgot to buy wrapping paper this year. I mean um, that. I mean, what is that? I know, I know. It's just really, really terrible. Um, and cards. Normally, I do. Normally, I moon pig them. I'm a, I'm a keen moon pig user. But this year, I've left it way too late. There's no point in me ordering one now. It'll probably rock up in the new year. So I need to go and somehow find Christmas cards in the shop. <clears> Mate, 12, I was twelve hours before Christmas. Now, don't worry about. It. I was in Tesco last night at like half past ten on the twenty third. 
Yeah, mate, there was still a million turkeys everywhere, which was absolutely mind-blowing. I was like, mad respect for anyone who's leaving it till the 23rd to buy their turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, luckily, I ain't got to worry about all that. But I I think a couple of years ago, I left cards quite late, and I remember almost having a fight with other people because it was like free-for-all for for whatever cards were remaining. People pushing each other out of the way, pre-pandemic, obviously. Um, But, yeah, I'm just treading it. I've got to go into town. I've got to bring the boy with me as well because Lucy's going out somewhere. So at least I'll have a prank to run people over as I'm <laughs> trying to, trying to get him yeah. still. So yeah, it should be quite interesting. But after yeah, that, yeah. I'm done. I'm going to get home. I'm going to crack a beer open. Yeah. Um, might even crack a whiskey open as well. Yeah, nice. Just, uh, and just enjoy it. Yeah. Happy days, mate. Happy days. Please hear it. Look, let's talk about some football, shall we? Uh, it's been a great year so far. We've touched on it. Um, let's see what happened. And we'll start next up with January. 2020. So, Jonesy, West Ham United entered 2021 in 10th position in the league, a position I think most fans would have been surprised about given the situation 12 months earlier when it didn't even look like we'd be in the league uh, the following new year, let alone midway up it. And what a start to a year, James Jones. We went to Goodison Park, played Everton, 1-1-0. It's still, of course, no fans in attendance at this time, wasn't there? All still lockdowns and all that sort of thing. Uh, we go to Everton, boom, we 1-0. We didn't actually move up the league at all. Um, but what a start to the year. What, what can you remember of that game? Tommy Suchek, late winner, wasn't it? Um Good, not a bad performance. I was surprised because Goodison Park is a is a place that touristy don't do very well at. Um, I know we've we've won there since even first of January. We've won there again, um, but up until that point, Goodison Park in my in my brain is always a place where we've struggled. So mm. to start the year with a with all three points, late winner, which is always nice, and um, I think it was on the back of, sort of no winning four. I think we ended. January 2020 on a bit of a very similar to now actually um, sort of December 2020 was a bit I think it was only one win in our last five games in, in 2020 so to put that to bed on the 1st of January and, and get the year up and running was, was good to see mm, Yeah absolutely brilliant mate you're totally right about Evan by the way um, what were you feeling then Jonesy before we go into a few more games what were you feeling this time last year I mean it's it was quite interesting to hear back because I know what you're feeling, because I only listened to it all yesterday. But what, what can you remember for sort of feeling at that time about West Ham? Oh, it's a long time to think back about my my feelings, but um, <laughs> they change. They change regularly. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think this time, like, well, sort of, you know, at that time it was more like, okay, we feel like we're we're moving in the right direction on the David Morris. We really felt like there were reasons to be positive. There were there were reasons to feel like. You know, something something good was about to happen. Obviously, probably not at the same level that did end up happening. But I think everyone, myself included, was quite comfortable with the direction in which David Moyes was taking us, given the situation we were in when he when he returned to the club. So, yeah, generally, generally quite happy. I think this time last year. 
Yeah, just pretty uh, optimistic. Uh, well, Jonesy, that, that 1-0 against Everton was the first of three that we kicked off 2021 with. We beat Stockport County 1-0 at Edgeley Park in the FA Cup third round. Probably could have done with that one being a little bit more convincing, but we got through it, which didn't matter. Burnley, we then beat 1-0 at the London Stadium before beating West Brom 2-1 by the same scoreline. By that stage, that was the 19th of January. We were seventh in the league by then. We then thrashed Doncaster 4-0 in the fourth round at the London Stadium as well, before capping off a near-perfect month uh, with another victory, this time against Crystal Palace, 3-2 at Selhurst Park. And that catapulted us to fourth place. I mentioned near-perfect there because on the 31st of January, we lost 3-1 to Liverpool at the London Stadium, which dropped us down a position to fifth. But the uh, yeah, a five-place jump in January 2021, what a perfect start to the month, Jonesy. Seven games played, six games won through two rounds of the FA Cup, and the only defeat was against Liverpool. You couldn't... Well, obviously, it could have been, been better if we'd have beaten them as well, but that is as close to perfect as you're going to get, is it not? Oh, yeah, 100%. And it could have been because, you know, there was a lot of criticism aimed towards the team after that Liverpool defeat because of the way we showed them a little bit too much respect. I mean, their defence was shot. They had so many injuries. And it was the perfect time to to play them. And we showed them a little bit too much respect and they battled us on the counter-attack. And um, I think Salah scored that, that worldie on the counter-attack. And looking back, but it was a game where a lot of fans at the time felt as though we'd kind of probably shot ourselves in the foot a little bit but you can't you can't really complain when you you win six out of seven games in a month going into a new year with a lot of optimism and you're sitting there in what fifth place at the end of January um yeah I think you know you can't really complain no you're right mate is there anything sort of out any standouts from those games that Crystal Palace won five goal thriller at Selhurst Park um that, that sort of obviously seems like the standout Result, if you will, obviously beating Doncaster 4-0 was okay, but it's in the cup you'd expect to do that. Um, the Liverpool games you've mentioned, the, the Sellers Park one seemed to be, that lot sort of stood out, especially to put us fourth. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that one in particular, because we'd gone 1-0 down after like the fourth minute, if I remember correctly, I think Zaha scored in like the fourth minute. And um, Suchek scored two. I think before half time, puts two one up before the break, and I think it was, yeah, it was just one of those games where, you know, it, it was one of the the first games where we saw West Ham go behind quite early on, but still have the character um, to to come from behind and still win a game, or at least not panic when going one nil down. Because as we know, over the years, if we if whenever we've gone one nil down, there's really never been much confidence that we'd ever get back into the game, but. From what I remember, that game was the one where it kind of showed us that actually, even if we go one nil down in the game, it doesn't mean that we're beat. You know, this this West Ham team under David Moyes is never going to be beaten um, or written off straight away. And um, from what I remember, that game was kind of the catalyst to that. Moving into yeah, very much, very much so, mate. Like you say, Zaha scored after three minutes. Thomas Suchek um, got two on nine and twenty-five. Those were in the old days when Thomas Suchek used to score goals, mate. Uh, Craig Dawson, of course, big Craig on 65 minutes, made it 3-1. And then Batshuayi gets one in the 97th minute when it's obviously too little, too late. But uh, yeah, a, a great performance and to send us fourth was superb. 
um, the perfect start to the year, faltered somewhat in February, Jonesy. I mean, again, league position-wise, it didn't really matter. But uh, still no ground, uh, no fans in the stadiums at this stage, by the way. So then in February, we had six games in total. It started off with a win at Villa Park uh, against Aston Villa. Famous, of course, because it was Jesse Lingard's debut. What a debut that was for Jesse as well. Yeah, 3-1 winners. Uh, Thomas Suchek again getting on the score sheet to put us 1-0 up after 51 minutes. 0-0 at half-time this game. And then, yeah, Lingard 56-83. and 83. One of them, that left-footed effort, uh, was superb down in front of the whole end. And Ollie Watkins, uh, he did actually make it a little bit nervous, didn't he, Watkins? it was We were 2-0 up. He scored on 81. And then Lingard wrapped up the points just two minutes later on 83. That kicked it off and we went fifth. We drew 0-0 with Fulham at Craven Cottage next before a 1-0 defeat. We crashed out the FA Cup to Manchester United at Old Trafford after extra time that game, wasn't it? I remember being really frustrated after that one because, like you mm-hmm. said about Liverpool, feeling like that they really were there for the taking. Uh, then we beat Sheffield United 3-0 at London Stadium, beat Tottenham 2-1, fantastic stuff, and then lost only 2-1 to Manchester City at the Etihad at the end of February. Uh, we were fourth, so we jumped up another place um, with some some positive results. The the two defeats, obviously you see some red in that month and the draw at Fulham, you think, meh. But again, one our home games. And, and you mentioned there, uh, Jonesy, about that sort of new identity uh, about West Ham. The, it, it's the home wins, isn't it? London Stadium gradually felt like like a fortress uh, and that's still what it does now it f- finally feels like a home mainly because it actually feels like it's a benefit to West Ham playing there for the first time ever really yeah I think you know as as the year's gone on we've turned turned the stadium into something of a fortress something of a place where we know that you know we've got the chance of beating absolutely anyone um, we showed that showed that particularly in the early stages of the year but um, you know the, the the big one was that Tottenham game, wasn't it? And at the end of February, I remember us uh, FaceTiming each other after that game. Um, just in almost <laughs> on your in complete, balcony. Yeah, I was on my balcony and just in complete almost disbelief. It's like, oh my god, like can't believe we've just done that. But looking back now, you can kind of you, you can believe that we've done it because yeah, it was it was kind of we were fourth in the league and it, it was going well. I was disappointed to go out of the FA Cup in, in the manner that we did. Mm. Um, that Fulham, that draw away at Fulham will always haunt me because it's just like such a silly result. <laughs> Neil Neil White, like, I think they were rock bottom Fulham. Um, Suchek so that, got sent off for that. Thomas Suchek, yeah, yeah. He got sent off for turning around and, and almost almost hitting Mitrovic in the face or something. Yeah, he uh, did, literally. That was it, wasn't he? He turned yeah. around and caught him with his elbow and Mike Dean, after a lengthy VR check, decided it was on purpose. That was... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fast, he looked. He it? looked at the the monitor on the side of the pitch as well, and still, still thought it was deliberate. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like, mate, it's Tom Suchek. Like, he wouldn't have a fly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I did like those arguments. Like, people were like, oh, yeah, he was, he's, he would never do that on purpose. Like, it's not really the point of VAR <laughs> to, be, to do a lot of character, yeah. character analysis before deciding whether or not to send the person off or not. But yeah, that was that was frustrating. That Fulham one, but well, just just quickly, Jonesy, that uh, Lingard. What do, what oh, do you yeah. remember thinking? What, what what was your feelings there? Well, I think I think at the time we were all surprised he walked straight into the starting eleven. 
because he'd only signed maybe what three or four days early. It's quite late in the Jerry window, wasn't it? And um, yeah. I think everyone was a little bit shocked that he'd that he walked straight into the starting eleven. And I think I mean I don't know about anyone else, but there, there was a feeling that for me anyway, it was like oh, one of our sorry Ben Rama's going to feel. Um, and and all the other players that kind of worked hard to get in, get into the eleven, and suddenly Jesse Lingo rocks up and walks straight in, but completely justified in the end. You know what a debut! Um, I can't remember the stat, but he became the first stand part to score two or more in his debut for God knows how long. Mm. Um, and it, it just, yeah, it just it just set the tone, didn't he, for the rest of the season, didn't he, Jesse? Kind of. He gave, he gave us a little taste of come right. Well, this is what you're going to get for the next six months at the very least. And yeah, from that very moment, yeah, it just felt like yeah, something's going to happen. Yeah, it was crazy, wasn't it? Uh, just yeah, I was. I, I remember being, and I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong on this podcast or generally in life. Uh, actually, more so, I'm better at it on this podcast in my life in, in general. <laughs> I try to be all right at it, but I'm better at doing it on this pod. Um, I remember being really underwhelmed. I was like, what? It's just like, he's not getting in Man United's team. We don't really need someone in that position. Like, oh, what, what is the point of that? So like, oh, here we go. And he's starting. And then when he did that, I was just like, oh, God, I, I feel the right <laughs> Wally. <laughs> so I think I've been quite vocal about it as well, as is my way. But, um, yeah, great start there. Frustrating at Fulham, that stupid uh, red card from Suchek, another... That, that was like the latest instalment in the circus that was VAR. Uh, we went to Old Trafford and lost after extra time. And any game that you lose to a Scott McTominay goal is always going to be frustrating. Straightforward win against Sheffield United. And that Tottenham game, Jonesy Mikel Antonio goal after five minutes. Jesse Lingard made it too with that superb effort. Left-footed strike, wasn't it? Down at the Bobby Moore end uh, in an empty London stadium. When I did the the hammers sign up to the camera, Lucas Moura made it a bit nervous with a goal on on 64 minutes as West Ham winning 2-1 with just 30% possession the entire game, which was a, a stat that that seemed to wrangle a few Tottenham fans afterwards. Oh, you're playing anti-football. Oh, we had all the ball. Oh, wet spam, wet spam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wet spam, spammers. Yeah, <laughs> great banner. Um, yeah, uh, Jones, this, I know it seems an odd place to do it, um, but we did go to the Tottenham game the other night, didn't we, in the Cup? Yeah. Um, we probably, uh, I don't know, should we leave this till the end, actually, mate? Keep the flow yeah, going of the review, should we? All right, we'll yeah, let's chat about the end. Okay, um, so uh, that was the Tottenham game. Yeah, 2-1 over them. That put us fourth. Then the defeat, 2-1 at Manchester City. Mikel Antonio did score. Um, Ruben Diaz put them 1-0 up Mikel Antonio scored and John Stones uh, their two centre-backs scoring frustrating to seal a win for City but I think everyone took heart from the performance February chalked off as another brilliant month and uh, we finished that in fourth position March swung round James and there was two big bits of news and both quite sad bits of news in different ways in the month um, the first thing, of course, was former West Ham manager Glenn Rhoda passed away. Um, obviously, a, a real shame. Glenn was not a well man during his time at West Ham, of course. Um, and yeah, that was, that was quite some time ago now that he managed West Ham. We were lucky enough uh, on the podcast to have John Monker and Tony Carr 
come on and they were brilliant gave their tributes um to glenn and said what a what a nice man he was both obviously had different um experiences of him tony working alongside him quite closely in his role as as the youth director while glenn was was in charge at west ham john playing under him of course so john was quite candid so they didn't always see eye to eye but you know what a good nice man that he was um, so that was some sad news that happened in in March, and we were delighted um, to be able to to do it justice and to do Glenn justice with with those two players and uh, West Ham legends icons who worked alongside and under Glenn and Jonesy. It was uh, West Ham's accounts for the year were released um, that month as well, uh, alongside Mark Noble's, or conveniently wedged in between the announcement that Mark Noble was to be retiring and that Lucas Fabianski had signed a new contract as well. Now, I'm not one to accuse cynicism lightly, but that was deliberate and on purpose for sure, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, didn't make for great reading. Keep it, keep it uh, lost amongst the the, the the sad news about Mark Noble's um, retirement. Um, yeah, I think the, on, just on the Glen Roder one as well. I think it caught a lot of people off guard that because although he, he wasn't very well at the time, anyone anyone really expected expected that at the time. So um, such sad news, very really bad start to to March, wasn't it? Um, yeah, on the news front. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, mate. And and that's that's the thing, you know. Um, obviously, the and the I think what was nice with the Glen Roder thing, the outpouring of you know tributes and all that. You you can kind of tell, can't you, when when someone dies, whatever walk of life, but particularly a famous person, you can kind of tell what sort of a person they were fairly quickly afterwards, won't you? Because with with everyone, you'll get like the customary tributes and and what have you. But with Glenn, there seemed to be a genuine sadness that he'd gone and a, more importantly, like a genuine warmth when people were thinking back to their times with him or working with him or alongside him. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Everyone seemed to speak about what a decent, genuine guy he was. Good friend of Gazza's, wasn't he? Gazza was cut yep. up about it. Um, and it just sounded like, you know, oh, he was a footballer and a football manager and whatever, and, and West Ham fans have sort of mixed memories, I think, of his time in charge of West Ham. Um, but I think most importantly, especially when you die, he was just remembered by almost everyone as a as a sound, genuine, honest, nice man, wasn't he? Yeah, I think, you know, even during his time as, as West Ham manager, I think a lot of people kind of knew, that, knew how much of a nice man he was. But yeah, you're right. You know, the, the, the tributes that were paid... To him afterwards, after he died, was um, just yeah a true reflection of such a of, of what such a nice man he was, and how he will be missed by his, obviously his friends, family, but obviously everyone in the in the footballing world as well that that knew him and worked with him. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, there was uh, some football games that took place as well in March. West Ham kicked the month off in perfect fashion with a 2-0 victory at home to Leeds United on the 8th of March. Jesse Lingard again and Craig Dawson popping up with the two first half goals in that game. Um, And we, because of other games that had gone in between, we, we were fifth after that match then we went to Old Trafford and flipping lost 1-0 again this time in the Premier League a frustrating one 
that, Jonesy. Although, I mean, it was a Craig Dawson own goal that on 53 minutes that uh, that gave United the win. But it was a strange one, wasn't it? In that we'd been to menu twice in recent times, lost 1-0 both times. But we didn't look abject, did we? We, we sort of gave them a game both times, which which made us feel good about the the fact that we weren't going there and getting trounced and we were in the game. Um, the month carried on then. Uh, that was on the 14th of March, the Man United game. Then we drew in one of the thrillers of the season, three all at London Stadium with Arsenal. Again, a completely frustrating one, mate. 3-0 up, <laughs> ended up drawing, 3 all. Um, Jesse Lingard, Jared Bowen and Thomas Suchek had West Ham 3-0 up inside 32 minutes. A Thomas Suchek own goal, a Craig Dawson own goal and then Alexander Lacazette's frustrating winner in the 83rd minute meant that despite being 3-0 up within little more than half an hour, we were still absolutely relieved to, uh, to come in with just a point at the end of the game. Uh, the rest of the month played out a 3-2 win at Molyneux against Wolves, a 3-2 win at London Stadium against Leicester, and then a 3-2 defeat um, at, excuse me, Jonesy, sorry, I've got completely and utterly carried away. We've gone into April. Yeah, we've gone well into April, uh, just taken aback by the fact we only had three games in March. So Leeds, Man United and Arsenal were the, <laughs> the March games, James. Uh, we ended the month 5th. After those three, a win and loss and a draw. But I think, and I've been pretty good this year at trying to be pragmatic and contextualising the points West Ham have been picking up. I think if you offered us four points from Leeds at home, Man United away and Arsenal at home at the beginning of the month, you probably would have taken it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. Um, the Arsenal game was a bit, a bit of a blow. Wasn't it? Particularly when you look at where we finished in the season um, and sort of how close we were to top four finish. But um, yeah, I think we, we, we got were... enough of our luck back, didn't we, that season? To be fair, a hundred percent, yeah. And you know, two own goals, really freeing you up. It was a late, a late equaliser. It started. You know, it's just not your day, is it? Um, we probably we could have been nine you up, and they still probably would have scored nine. It's just yeah. one of those days when it's so yeah, frustrating, but. But I think, yeah, you're right on reflection of it. If you look at the teams we played, then, you know, four points, you take it. I think that's what's, that's what's been good, mate, isn't it? Is that the all of this year, it feels like it feels like we've got the points you'd want from your team. Do you know what I mean? Like in years gone past where it's been, um, you know, oh, well, we should be X. We should be X. Like we'd, we'd spend half the time losing to like teams that we should beat and then also losing to the teams that we're expected to lose to, which is yeah. why we'd end up like 12th or whatever. But this season, I think we've just, if if you take like a, 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 or sorry, this year, if you took a block of five games and said, how many points do you want to get from those? Or do you think it's realistic? Often we'd get them. It might not always be against the teams we expected or in the order we expected to, but, Often, if you looked back after five, we have got the points you'd want or expect, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. But then on the flip side, you know, there is a slight disappointment that, you know, had we actually beaten the teams that we should be beating, then we'd be far better off. Mm. Obviously, when, when, it, when you actually take into perspective, actually, 
being any being far better off than where we currently are or that we were back in April, May is sort of title challenges rather than top four challenges, which yeah. I'll be asking for a little bit too much too soon. But yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yes, you I are. Think, I think you're right. Um it did feel like we were still getting the points that we felt like we should be getting, just maybe not in the order that we thought we'd get them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're totally right. Josie, I'm just watching back um, the highlights from that West Ham free, Arsenal free game. Lingard's goal to start off was absolutely superb. Then we take the free, quick free kick and Jared Bowen gets in, squeezes it in at the near post. Antonio's um, header onto Suchek's foot. There was an offside question to make it 3-0. Lacazette's first goal spins on the volley, Definitely going wide, uh, hits into the defender and goes in. The second own goal, which I've just seen, <laughs> Craig Dawson's one, he absolutely smashed it into the top of the net at a rate of knots from five yards out. And then Lacazette's one, obviously, to make it free all. I'd, I'd forgotten how annoying that game actually was and how dreamland it seemed after 32 minutes. And then having to watch it all come crumbling down for the next hour. That was just... I don't like this phrase normally. That was quite vintage West Ham, wasn't it? Yeah, it was almost like a look, guys. You've been like look, you've been having it good for the last what two months, three months, right? Just remember, just remember who you are. We're going to dish up ninety minutes of typical West Ham. <laughs> yeah, just, exactly. Just, just to rem- just to remind you that you know that you're still West Ham, <laughs> and um, yeah, you're not you're not massive just yet. So Absolutely, it's ninety minutes mate. of typical West Ham. Absolutely. Well, look, that's the first quarter of the year out the way, the first three months. And we ended, started the year in 10th, ended the first quarter of the year, ended March 2021 in 5th with some memorable games under our belt already. Stay with us because we have April, May and June next. Fifth place going into April, Jonesy. I nearly got a little bit carried away uh, in March there, thinking we had a few more games in that month than we did. But it was Wolves at home, 3-2. Leicester, uh, no, sorry, Wolves away, 3-2 at Molyneux. Leicester at London Stadium, 3-2. And then a 3-2 defeat at St. James's Park before the wrapped up, or sorry, before April was wrapped up with a 1-0 defeat by Chelsea at London Stadium. We were fourth after three of those games and then dropped back down to fifth again by the end of the month. Um, Jonesy, now, uh, I don't know, what, what do you remember most about those? That that run of three twos, I remember pl- being a particularly entertaining spell of football. It started, as I mentioned, with that win at Molyneux. Uh, Jesse Lingard put us 1-0 up. Pablo Fornells made it 2-0 and Jared Bowen. Uh, put made us put us three 0 up, and that was similar to the Arsenal game. Arsenal was three 0 inside thirty two minutes. Uh, Wolves was three 0 inside thirty eight minutes. And when Leandro Dendonka scored, and then Fabio Silva by sixty eight minutes, it all felt very oh my god, we're going to do it again, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it happened even the the Leicester game after uh, we were three 0 up. I'm pretty sure we were three nil up. Maybe I think two nil at half time. We were three nil shortly after after half time. Yeah, three nil by forty eight minutes. Yeah, and sort of you know three games in a row. You you're you're racing into three goal leads, and then you know you you're drawing the first one, and then just about scraping the other two. And it's just like, oh my god, what on earth's going on? Like this is this is heart attack stuff. This is you know, but um, 
still managed to get seven points out of those three games. And you know, mm. like you said in the the fixes in in March, probably would have taken taken seven. Given you know Leicester were above us in the league at the time, they were third. I think anyone expected us to beat them. Um, and Wolves is always a difficult place to go. So hey, cliche. Good, good, exactly. Um, good run of results, I think. All things considered. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think so. So then um, we had that three two at Newcastle where Craig Dawson gets sent off uh, after thirty six minutes, and that was just annoying. That wasn't it. And then Issa Diop scores an own goal moments later. Um, but the Diop, uh, the sorry, the Dawson red card was just frustrating, wasn't it? Like. Uh, Newcastle breaking hauls him down on the like just for no reason, just for absolutely no reason was the annoying part of it, wasn't it? It was, it was a red card that everyone could see coming because <laughs> I think it was Alex and Maximan was causing all sorts of bother going forward. That like every time he got the ball, we were under yeah. so much pressure defensively uh, with his pace. You could kind of just any minute now, someone's going to clatter him late and they're going to be sent off. And then lo and behold, big Craig Dawson rocks up and does exactly that. <laughs> Yeah, but it was it was one of those games we still shouldn't have lost, wasn't it? It was like that that red card particularly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just so awful, wasn't it? Awful, like bit of a weird back pass anyway. Miscontrolled by Dawson, absolutely blasts through the bloke in the middle, and then some Maxman runs up the other end of the pitch. This has a shot. Fabianski saves it onto Diop's foot and it goes in. And then the ref goes, right, that was a bad way to start the game for you, lot, wasn't it? Oh, by the way, Dawson, you're off for that. <laughs> Absolutely brutal, brutal challenge. But look, I mean, yeah, Diop and then Joe Linton made it 2-0. Um, and we got back into it, to be yeah, fair. got back into Diop it. Diop scored down the other end. Uh, Jesse Lingard got a pen. And on 80 minutes, we were 2 all. With 10 men, it didn't last very long, unfortunately, because Joe Willock's header gave Newcastle all three points. That was a frustrating one, wasn't it? Like, considering how rubbish Newcastle are and were, um, that was somewhat of an irritating one. And then, yeah, we ended up the um, uh, end of the month with that 1-0 home defeat to Chelsea at the London Stadium. Another red card, and this one, James Jones. I mean, granted, Timo Werner had already put Chelsea 1-0 up on 43 minutes. Again, Man who can't hit a barn door, he's obviously obviously he was going to score. Is, yeah. And then Fabian Balbuena got sent off for kicking a football. Yeah, the Balbuena red card still absolutely baffles me. Um, baffles me more than Timo Werner scoring a goal. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, just like every time you see it, you just think, what on earth was the referee or VAR thinking? It's so obvious, even even the replays show him clearing the ball and catching, who was it? Was it Chilwell? Catching Chilwell in his follow-through. Um, and Chilwell was so close to him when Balbuena made connection with the ball. There was just no way he could get out of the way. He um, literally cleared it, didn't he? He literally, he literally just cleared, cleared the ball um, and Chilwell ran into his foot. And according to everyone that looked at it about 100 times, they still felt like, oh yeah, that's definitely a red card offence. Um, and it was the last we saw of Balbuena in a West Ham show because he left a, yeah. few, a few months later. Um, yeah, just a like, just a, again, I think you said it earlier, just a, another in a long line of really questionable VAR decisions. Yeah, that was that was the most pathetic one. Suchek's was dodgy, but that one, it was like, I, and I remember, and that's why I was glad at the beginning of the season, certainly, to see that the officials seemed to have listened because 
things like that. Not just because it was West Ham, but are just bad for football, aren't they? The spectacle of football. Like no one's entertained by that. No one's sitting at home going, "Yeah, the game's better because of that." Mm. It's like it's a contact sport. It was clearly an accident, and he caught. Like if you're going to send players off for literally kicking the ball, that's when it got a bit farcical, didn't it? Last season at several stages. Um, so I'm glad that well, I was glad they'd sorted out at the beginning the form of the official in the last few weeks. Some of the decisions suggest that. It seems to be going back down the pan again. But, um, yeah, that was a weird one. But a 1-0 defeat in that game anyway. We came fifth. Um, oh, sorry, we finished the month fifth. Jonesy, one thing, though, that did happen from a news point of view in that month was the launch of the European Super League. And I'll be quite frank, mate, I felt so proud to be an English football fan when all that happened. The reaction to it and the backlash was absolutely superb. Yeah, I think I don't think anyone really expected the backlash to be. Well, I mean, the, the clubs definitely didn't. But you know, when it was first announced, and you had Gary Neville having his say on every single sort of airwave and TV station he could get his face on, um, and quite rightly so, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, um, poor old like, guys. But he was he was everywhere, wasn't he? And he was like, I remember watching that Monday Night Football. Um, Ubiquitous, I think, is a word. Yeah, and it was just like you're watching it going, yeah, go on, go, yeah, you, you tell yeah, me, yeah, yeah, everyone was loving it, yeah. Um, but they had like fans protesting. Obviously, Tom was there with his sign that went viral, and yeah, it was it was great to see. But then there was still that that worry in the back of your mind. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, we're doing all this, and everyone's opposing it, and you know, it's, even next players and pundits are opposing it. But can we really stop it? Mm. Um, and thankfully, um, one or two clubs saw the saw the light early doors, and which, which caused the snowball effect. So I still think it's funny that Barcelona and Real Madrid are still pushing for and it. And Juventus, I think. And Juventus. Um, I mean, I can see why Barcelona are because they're like a billion quid in debt. So yeah, yeah, of course classic. they want it. Uh, Real Madrid want it just because they're greedy. Um, so yeah, it just makes me laugh that there's three clubs in Europe that are still really, really desperate for it to happen, and the rest of Europe have just gone well. Yeah, probably best we leave it. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like the best bit of it all was the fact that Tottenham and Arsenal both thought that they deserved a seat at the table. It's just like well, <laughs> Tottenham, like what are you doing there? And Arsenal, we haven't won anything for about thirty years. Like what yeah, are you yeah. doing in there? So um, you look back now and kind of laugh at it, but actually the the, the sheer audacity of those clubs to even think that they could go and do that to our sport. Like, just, yeah. that's just that's mental. That wasn't a surprise to me, mate. You've just got, like, mercenary businessmen in charge of these organisations. And yeah. the organisations only mean as much from an emotional point of view to us, the fans, don't they? To the people it's who true. own them. They're just money-making vehicles. And... It's like when, you, when you've got FIFA and uh, which is <laughs> UEFA going, um, I'll have calling fans legacy fans in their in their statements and stuff like that just showing a sheer like misunderstanding and disconnect to actually the people that matter most with this sport the people that actually mm. keep it put money in these rich people's pockets and i think the concerning uh, thing is right that you say that matters most of this sport i think the best way of putting it is actually this sport matters the most too because unfortunately, it works sadly, both ways. So you're right. It works both ways, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, do you think? I just think 
don't, I just don't think there's a regard for. I think we matter as long as we're buying season tickets and shirts. But you know what I mean. But I, I no. just don't think there is that regard, mate. I honestly don't. I, well, I think you know the, the old cliche: football does. You know, football's nothing without fans. Um, like from an emotional point of view, yeah, and an entertainment point of view, yeah, but also from a revenue point of view, because if fans weren't involved, like in in mm. football, or didn't like football, then these clubs would be getting no advertising revenue. Because why would advertisers pump money into these clubs when there's no audience? Match going fans, I'm not so sure about though. I honestly don't think match going fans matter to them anymore because the percentage of revenue you get from tickets or whatever compared to, um, like. The, the the TV revenues is maybe the, not a huge disparity, isn't there? Maybe not, but again, the revenue, the the only reason why there's millions and millions of pounds through TV contracts and big sponsorship deals, you know, shirt sponsorships, stadium sponsorships, is all because there's an audience, and that audience is the football fan. So mm. if the football fan isn't there, yeah, but that yeah, the football fan could easily. That's what I'm saying. The football fan can be in. You know, the USA, China, Australia, uh, the Philippines, Ghana. Yeah. Like that, that's the thing, isn't the, it? So, but, yeah, yeah, I get that. But then, you know, that's what I meant by, you know, that the, the sport relies on the fans, 100% relies on the fans, like 100%. And it showed a complete disregard for football fans in general. Just for going, well, you know, we're just going to change the sport and we're no, going to take these clubs away so. from it. I don't think so, mate, because I don't you think that the driving thought behind it was they were like, well, to be fair, I don't really care about those, the fans who go and watch Man City every week in the stadium uh, or, you know, Chelsea, Tottenham or um, Liverpool or Arsenal or whatever. I don't really care about those because the people who watch these teams in, America, those countries I just mentioned, all across the world, they don't really care. They just want to see the biggest and best players playing against each other every single week. And I, I, I sort of like, do you know what I mean? And you could sort of understand yeah, that. It's a bit like real life dream to real life FIFA or real life fantasy football or whatever. And to make that a reality for people around the world who don't have such an emotional investment in the sport. I genuinely do think there was a separation between English match-going fans over here. Because you can't tell me, you cannot tell me that the owners of Liverpool, uh, we're more than a club and we do things differently, all that crap. You cannot tell me that the owners of Liverpool were like, yeah, this is what our match-going fans do, fill up the world-famous cop and the world-famous, supposedly brilliant atmosphere at Anfield every week. You can't tell me that they had any consideration whatsoever for the match-going fans. None. It was all about those mm. people around the world and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I know what you mean. I just think that, you know, how they thought that they were ever going to get away with it um, just still baffles me to this day. But just for me, it's just the same way to get away with everything. Just do it because fans have no choice. Fans have got one football club. And like West Ham fans had no choice with the London Stadium move. You, do, you, think, you just get this, in a position where it's, you get no choice. So this, it's, it's this or nothing. Well, I think I think that, I mean I, I don't know. Obviously, don't don't support a club that was involved in it. But you don't know how a lot of those fans would have reacted in terms because that's 
that's a lot more than just moving stadiums. Like that mm. was basically threatening to take the football club away from them and, and play mm. games outside the country. Mm. Basically, just pull the football club under you know under the feet of that hundreds of thousands of fans. Um, just think they could ever get away with that. Mm. Um, and I still don't think it's gone away. I still think there'll be no, of course not. There'll be, right. of there'll be another not. there'll be another attempt yeah. at something very similar, probably in the next year or two. Um, yeah, because it's still sitting there. Three clubs, particularly in Europe, are still pushing, desperate for it. In their eyes, it's untapped revenue, isn't it? And while there's untapped revenue, the greedy hounds at the top of these football clubs will go after it. That, yeah. That's that's the way it is. But yeah, you're right, mate. Let's get back to West Ham and football, shall we? That was the that was that for for April, May, um, Burnley, Everton, Brighton, and Hove Albion. You'll never guess how we got on against Brighton. Uh, West Bromwich Albion, uh, Southampton were the games to finish the season. Um, I mean, what a time this was, Jonesy. Fifth place in the Premier League going into May after that defeat at Chelsea. We kick it off with a superb 2-1 win at Turf Moor. Unfortunately, that didn't move us up the table. Uh, We stayed fifth after that game. And then, shock horror... We go to Brighton and we fail to beat them. We draw and we drop down to sixth. We then beat West Bromwich Albion 3-1 at the Hawthorns on the 19th of May before a 3-0 win against Southampton on the 23rd confirms our place in the Europa League group stage proper for the first time in our history. We finished the Premier League in sixth position, so... I mean, wow, what a time that was. Oh, sorry, Jonesy. Um, between the Burnley and Brighton game, we also lost 1-0 to Everton at the London Stadium in amongst all that, which I forgot. Uh, that was quite something that year, wasn't it, mate? I, I was just full of energy and excitement the whole time and the prospect of, of qualifying for Europe was almost impossible to, to contend with. We kicked off the month, uh, as I say, with that win at Burnley. Chris Wood's penalty put the Clarets 1-0 up after 19 minutes. Mikel Antonio had equalised two minutes later and made it 2-1 to West Ham. Uh, before the half-hour mark, uh, we held on to that result, 1-2-0. Everton came to town. Dominic Calvert-Lewin's 25th-minute goal put, uh, gave them a 1-0 lead. The Brighton game was seriously irritating uh, Danny Welbeck flipping scored for them uh, on 84 minutes before Saeed Benrahma's absolute rocket rescued us a point which makes it all the more embarrassing and annoying uh, we won 3-1 at West Brom uh, again coming from behind Matthias Pereira putting them 1-0 up then Suchek scored at the end of the first half for Ogbonna and Antonio on 82 and 88 minutes respectively wrapped up those points before that Absolutely superb game against Southampton. The 3-0 in the last game of the season. Two goals from Pablo Fornells within 33 minutes. And Declan Rice uh, almost fittingly scoring the last goal of the season to make it West Ham United 3, Southampton 0 and secure our sixth place finish, Jonesy. Talk me through May highlights for you, standout feelings, um, yeah, best moments and all that sort of thing, favourite game, whatever. Well, I think the Burnley game was big, um, but the, the equaliser against Brighton, I think, really 
felt like because we just lost to Everton. You're going to Brighton, going you one 0 down to Danny Welbeck, going. You think, oh, here we go. Like we're going to bottle this, aren't we? We're, we're going to bottle top six. Um, but the Ben Rama, the late Ben Rama, is his first goal for the club. Late Ben Rama equalised at the annex. It was then where I felt, yeah, do you know what? We're going to do this. Um, and West Brom, on the face of it, felt like a bit of a banana skin. Sam and a dice in charge. <laughs> at the time, we just thought, oh, he's going to, he's going to mug us, isn't he? Um, there was fans back in for that one, Jones, that as well, was, wasn't there? 5,300? Was, yeah, it was the first, that was like the first weekend when I think it was a Monday night game. It was the first weekend where fans could, I think clubs were allowed a certain percentage of their capacity in. No away fans, though, was it? No away fans, purely home fans. And again, there was that feeling that, you know, we're going to Sam Allardyce's West Brom, yeah. desperate for winter, secure, or have a chance of securing top six finish. And, um, they got something of a home crowd there as well, where we haven't got any fans. It's like, oh, what's going to happen here? Yeah. Um, and then Deccan Rice misses a penalty early doors, didn't he? At the post, I remember in that one. And um, yes. thought, oh, here we go. Yes, of course, yeah. Yeah, it just clattered the post, it as hard as he could, Julian Dick style, and it just yeah. smashed off the post. It was our darling. Brilliant. Um, yeah. But got it done. And then the rest of it was was pretty straightforward. Southampton was that's always three 0 isn't it, against them mm. at London Stadium, uh, four hours double. And um, I, re- I remember that game because I cried afterwards because I was just so proud that we finished sixth. I had tears in my eyes. How drunk were you? Uh, I was at home, so only about two two cans of beer in. So I wasn't. Oh, that really? <laughs> yeah, that was a phenomenal. Um, it's just a phenomenal feeling, wasn't it, mate? And like you say, and not not just because it's what we've been promised, and and we do talk about that a lot, and that does play into a lot of our thinking, fans generally, not just us, uh, and so it should because we were promised something when we left Upton Park, a place we all loved playing football at. Uh, but put that to one side for a minute, right? Wherever we were playing football, just to see West Ham qualify for the Europa League group stage proper, proper European competition for the first time ever. I know we got to the qualifiers before and those I was excited about those games and disappointed when we didn't get through to the group stages then. Uh, the Intertoto Cup, you know, whether you count that or not, whatever. Um, but to do it like that, aside from where we were playing football, aside from the stadium stuff, what we were or weren't promised, just to see my football club qualify for European, proper European competition proper way by via good performance in the league not not getting loads as many yellow cards as someone else over a season um yeah i'm the same as you mate i i don't think i got emotional um but i certainly just yeah just that pride feeling again and just like yeah this is what it's all about this is what i've wanted for such a long time and see it come to fruition was brilliant and just immediately made me excited really mate about the um uh, about the draw and and what was to come yeah, I think I think what what was good was that we were getting loads of plaudits from from neutrals at the time as well. It wasn't mm. just like, oh look, West Ham is snacking through the back door here. Um, we'd we'd earned the right to be there in the top six, and everyone agreed and thought, no, do you know what, West Ham are, are worthy qualifiers, you know, worthy sixth place finishers, and and David Moyes done an incredible job, and Declan Rice, you know, is best midfielder in the world, and and all that all that stuff. And it felt like we'd, we'd almost arrived a little bit. It's like, you know, West Ham have arrived now. Um, mm. And people are actually sitting up and taking notice of little old West Ham doing well and going, yeah, they are doing well. David Moyes doing a cracking job. Um, so, yeah, to, 
to cap it off with a win like that, finish sixth, makes you buzzing for the new season. Couldn't wait for the summer to come and go so the new season could start, even though we had England and the Euros to worry about. And, and that was oh, another, yeah. another wonderful story. Um, but yeah, I think there was just so much eagerness for that draw to come, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, absolutely, mate. And I think that was the thing as well. Like with the um, w- with the Euros coming up, that was exciting. Declan looked like he was going to get. Oh, you, you knew he was going to get a shot. Um, even Jesse, I think, was probably a little bit unfortunate not to go. I kind of understand why, uh, but I reckon he was probably one injury away from from making that squad as well. Uh, he worked his way back into contention through his great performances with West Ham. Um, yeah, and I think it was superb. June, Jonesy, uh, that kicked off. Obviously, we were all excited for the Euros. And on Saturday the 12th, it was announced that West Ham manager David Moyes signed a new three-year contract, um, having guided West Ham to a sixth-place finish in European football for only the third time in their history. Um, yeah, obviously the first time we got to the Europa League group stage proper. So I don't know why the independent wrote that at the time. But brilliant absolutely brilliant stuff it was exactly what we all wanted and it just was another move wasn't it towards um basically like oh we're actually a proper football club who are conducting ourselves properly yeah we knew it was coming um he only signed a one year or an 18 month deal when he when he first came back to the club and i think everyone just knew it was going to come it was just a matter of when they were going to announce it Mm. um i think a lot of a lot of people thought they'd, they'd give it to him in January after, you know, a decent first half of the season. But, you know, by the time it gets to sort of March time and we're, we're sitting there in fourth and in April, we're in there in fourth and everyone's talking about Champions League football for, for a period. And everyone's like, well, you know, just give him give him a 10-year contract and be done with it. Yeah. got a Newcastle under Mike Ashley. Yeah, which I think it's only just expired that one, I think. Yeah, eight um, year contract, what a ledge. Yeah, something like that. But but yeah, I mean it's three years probably a, a, a fair a fair contract to sign. Um and he's still got plenty of time to to get us into into the Champions League. Yeah, exactly, mate. Brilliant stuff. Um we'll just do it quickly before we move on. Uh the Euros. I was so proud to see Declan Rice play the whole thing. Uh, I was proud of England. It was this has been the best year for football for me ever in my life. England are brilliant. I love Gareth Southgate. I love the team and every all one of the players, what they represent, the way they conduct themselves and go about their business. Um, yeah, you know, we we did well at the World Cup and to carry that progress on. Anyone who I find it absolutely baffling people running down Southgate or whatever because we've had better players than we've got in the past. We had that golden generation and no manager could tame them or corral them into playing with each other to putting their egos to one side and that ridiculous club rivalry they bang on about Mm. as if the players don't have club rivalries these days. You've got a manager who's making sure a group of players leave their egos at the door and leave their club rivalries to one side, unite and play the best football to the best of their ability for the good of the nation. And it was fantastic. I absolutely loved it. And even the Euros final, and I've had this on a couple of occasions in my life, similar to when we lost the FA Cup final to Liverpool, I was gutted afterwards. But I always still say that's one of my favourite days of watching with being a West Ham fan 
because we got to an FA Cup final. I got to watch my team there. Same with England with the Euros. All right, we lost on a penalty shootout. We got all the way to the end of a final. It's the first I've ever seen that in my life. And I was just full of pride for the team and the, and yeah and for what it did to to everyone, all my mates getting to that, watching games with my friends and family and all that, and getting to such a monumentous occasion uh, and deserving to as well. I uh, I just I was and to have a West Ham midfielder playing at the heart of it, it was just dreams are made of, mate. For for. Fans of clubs like us who aren't used to winning stuff, to see that happen, the team you support, particularly in your country as well. Um, I've always been a club over, sorry, a country over. Whenever ever anyone says, oh, what would you rather win the World Cup or the West Ham win the I don't know, Premier League or Champions League? Without fail, I say England win the World Cup every single time. Uh, and yeah, it was, I was loving it. Mate, it just, it was so heady. It was just like, what is going on? West Ham qualified for Europe. England were in the Euros final. And afterwards, I just felt pride. Like uh, uh, There was hardly any disappointment. I know we lost, but we got to the final. That was already an achievement in itself. Like, it was already further than any England team had got in my lifetime. Um, or ever. Like, you know, as far as the Euros go. Um and I think that should be seen as an achievement in itself. Uh, and yeah, and I was just full of pride, and it was delir- football delirium at that time of the year, mate. Yeah, it was delirium. Um, I think, I mean, I was just as proud, mate. Uh, plenty of tears, particularly after that semi-final when we got to the final. Because I, I didn't gen- know you were such an emotional football. I, fan. I've always, I've always been an emotional football fan. Um, like. <laughs> Generally, particularly after a couple of beers, but even without the without the drink, helping me on my way, I've 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 always been quite emotional when it comes to comes to sport. But um, yeah, the just never expected to ever see England play in a major final. Like particularly after all that golden generation years, you mentioned it, and you know, like of Lampard, Gerrard, and Owen, and Beckham, and all those players that came through. Everyone was like, this team's got to win something at some point, and it's just never got anywhere close. And, you know, after that, you, you kind of almost accept the fact that yeah, England aren't going to win anything in the minor lifetime or even get to a final. Mm. So then for them, and then obviously the World Cup a couple of years ago was a disappointment. Felt like we, we probably should have made the final at least. And then maybe that, I felt like that was maybe the chance. That was the opportunity. We've missed it. And so to, for them to do it this summer and do it the way they did, beat Germany on the way and then get all the way to a penalty shootout and come so close so close and I felt exactly the same as you mate after disappointment mm. um, but pride more than anything just sheer pride that and obviously I was incredibly lucky enough to be there on the day um, and see the game oh, I um, forgot that in, I forgot I you probably, went. yeah Mental. yeah so lucky to be there and like yeah just an incredible experience all around um, I look back at it and my brother was with me we, we both agree that disappointing to lose but we had our moment. Mm. All we wanted was when we met up that day, I said to my brother, I said, what do you think? He said, I don't really care as long as we have that moment of celebrating a goal. Yeah, in yeah. In the cup final. We didn't expect it to come in the third minute via Luke Shaw, yeah. of, of all people. But we got that moment. You know, I've ended up five, six rows in front on my back, you know, leg tangled up in a seat. And it was just absolute mayhem. And I loved every minute of it. And yeah, yeah. afterwards, you kind of walk away and you're gutted that you'd have to lost in the final and the penalty shootout. And you look back and go, actually, 
I've never celebrated a goal like that ever in my life, and I probably never will again. Mm, no, Incredible. I totally agree, mate. That's what we've said that in this podcast a few times, haven't we? Football fans want moments. That's what mm-hmm. they want. They want things, particularly as a, I was chatting to Steve the Luton fan who summed it up for me well. Football fans, especially of a lower league, like or not lower league clubs, but non-like top six clubs or whatever, right? Fans who very rarely win anything, right? And I can't like Everton and Wolves downwards, basically, right? They just want moments. They just want things to hold on to and remember and talk about and enjoy. And same with England. We've been a perennially unsuccessful team. It's not like if you're a Germany fan or a Spain fan or even a France fan. Uh, You've had actual tangible wins that people go, yeah, that must have been brilliant. Yeah, you're totally right. England fans just want things and getting a goal as well. Yeah, same as you, mate. I mean, I watched it in Gauchos in Piccadilly. It was absolutely bizarre. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was so good. But, um, yeah, we sort of got let down on a place we were going to go to, like, not long before. And we were scouting around. And this place we ended up um, finding. It was brilliant. There was 12 of us in there. And I did a great, it was a great thing. It was bizarre. But, yeah, just basically, like, set up, a, set up the TVs and stuff in the steak restaurant. Um, so, yeah, so we had some food, good food before. And then watch the game and drinks and all that sort of thing. And it was it was superb. It really was good. Um, and, yeah, exactly what you said. I'll never, ever forget that. I'll never for- – and so many of the moments in the Euros, but I'll never, ever forget that, that, you know, the goal. And even the penalty shootout, I remember I was annoying everyone. I was just, like, convinced because everything had gone so well for the season for me football-wise. I was like, we're going to win. Like, when it got to penalties, I was like, don't worry, everyone. We are definitely going to win, no doubt about it at yeah, all. At one point, it looked like we were going to win because when Jorginho Pickford saved Jorginho's penalty, yeah. I was like, "That's Stunned. it, yeah, of course we've won." And I must admit, yeah, it was a little bit of a like balloon bursting, literally five seconds later, and Saka proper <laughs> like crap penalty on it. Yeah. But yeah, brilliant stuff, brilliant to see Declan Rice involved as well. Um, yeah, just all round good stuff, good feels for that summer. That is it. Now we're halfway through the year. Now that takes us to, um, well, technically that's June and July, so we're a little bit further on. Uh, but we'll be back again in no time with August, September and October as West Ham kick off the 2021-22 season in superb fashion. Happy New Year from our friends over at Manscaped. It's that time of the year when we all commit to changing something in our lives for the better. So why not turn to Manscaped to ensure your grooming is on point and the best it can be throughout 2022. As New Year's resolutions go, pledging your commitment to your male grooming routine is the least you can do. And Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 has everything you need to ensure you don't drop the ball early on and remain consistent in keeping things neat and tight all year round and to help you get off to the perfect start you can get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code we are west Ham. that's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code we are west Ham. yep the manscaped performance package is everything to boost your below the waist grooming game from the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with advanced skin safe technology that reduces cuts and nicks, the Crop Preserver, which is a spray that protects against chafing, and the Crop Reviver, which would ensure things down there remain fresh at all times. To top it all off, 
You even get a shed travel bag so you can carry all of your precious Manscaped products in style everywhere you go. Will, have you got any grooming-related New Year's resolutions knocking about? Well, uh, mate, as you know, we got the uh, our hands on the weed whackers earlier this year. And whilst I thought I was a bit too young for trimming nose hair, uh, I had noticed a couple of rogue ones creeping out the nearer I got to 30. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my resolution this year. Regular use on the weed whacker and make sure those uh, nose hairs are in check and there's no rogue ones creeping out for everyone to see. Fair, fair. Mine is just to be a bit more on top of it. I have, a, I have the same New Year's resolution every year, which is just to be better at everything. <laughs> and everything in in that bracket, everything is maybe a little bit of fitness, work, parenting now. Um, now I've got another one, which is grooming. So I'm going to be better at grooming, self-grooming, below and above the waist. Um, and the nose hairs definitely need to be done a little bit more regularly than they have been. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one, mate. That's to hear it. So to get your hands on the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0 and to see all the other top quality male grooming products they have available this new year, head over to manscaped.com today. And remember, get 20% off and free shipping with the code WEARWESTAN. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code WEARWESTAN at manscaped.com. Have no regrets this year with our friends at Manscaped. So, James Jones, from a news point of view, with the heady heights of the Euros out the way, um, West Ham had qualified for Europe. Uh, we had a few intriguing news stories. Uh, the first one um, being the Pi takeover, PAI Capital. Their takeover was announced, or their takeover bid was announced. You were particularly vocally unhappy about it. Michael Antonio, this is all in August, by the way. Michael Antonio broke uh, the record for the most Premier League goals for West Ham United, beating Paolo Di Canio's record. And uh, he also emerged that David Sullivan uh, had left his long-term partner and was dating Real Housewives of Cheshire star Ampika Pixton, who was um, more than a couple of decades his junior. Uh, so... Um, some different stories coming out. Jonesy, uh, I'll give you a quick run through of what happened from a football side of things as well. Just three games in August. We beat Newcastle away at St. James's Park 4-2 to propel us into fourth. Uh, 50,600 people, fans back properly, which was great. And we beat Leicester 4-1 at the London Stadium to go top of the Premier League, if you please. Uh, and then a two-all draw against Crystal Palace. Uh, dented uh, the the good feels somewhat, but an unbeaten start to the Premier League season. We remained top after that game as well, and the Leicester and Palace games in excess of fifty nine thousand. Back in the London Stadium, football felt a bit more back to normal, which was great. So six big things to to cover there, Jonesy. I'll let you decide which one uh, you cover about first. Which one is most memorable from those <laughs> August events? Well, the uh... David Sullivan's new missus was probably the least memorable story. So we'll the least go. memorable? Jake, yeah. that's huge. Oh, I mean, it was big news at the time, but kind of, again, yeah, meh. Uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, for me. So, so non-tabloid, aren't you? Exactly, yeah, mate. But... That's a difference to me and you, Jonesy, I think. <laughs> you, work for, you work for one, didn't you? So, well. Pie, pie takeover is the big story, wasn't it? Um, 
other than on the pitch, obviously, us going top of the league for a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, just I look back now and just go, thanks. Thank God they never bought the club. Just there was so much, so many alarm bells ringing from the off with the way that they conducted their their attempts to buy the football club. That that's why I was so vocal at the time. Just you know, typos and stuff in statements and getting facts wrong about the club. You right? hated that, right. didn't you? West Ham FC, West Ham FC, and you know, saying that West Ham never sold out Upton Park and not, like just grammatically incorrect sentences and stuff like that. It's just like, what are you doing? Like, if you can't get this right, you cannot run a football club properly. You can't be trusted to run a football club properly. Um, I know they got, you know, they've got Rio Ferdinand, a West Ham legend and stuff like that. You know, they got Tony Cotty on board, yeah, which Rio was a good move Anton. from them. Um, Tony got involved and, you know... Off the back of our podcast, it might be worth adding. Yeah, yeah, I mean... We asked him about it and he said, I don't know anything about it. And then two he days later... He was with later, us for two hours, wasn't he? Yeah, the so... two-hour episode. But, I don't know, I, th- I just think, even with Tony Cotty on board, I still wasn't 100% convinced. I know Cotty was trying to convince us otherwise, but, yeah, I just think so much had happened by then that... No, well, even that on its own right, though, even Tony's... Um, so, sorry, just before... But let me just jump back quickly. All of that, by the way, the start of the season came off... I missed this for July. Came off a pretty perfect pre-season results-wise. You'll have heard me before. I don't give a stuff about the results in pre-season. I know everyone bangs on about it sometimes, but I don't really care. But we drew two all at Dundee. Beat Northampton away 2-1, uh, drew 0-0 at Leighton Orient. Beat Reading away 3-0, beat Celtic away 6-2, uh, beat Brentford away 1-0 before a victory over Atalanta, uh, which was actually August, which was 2-0 at home at the London Stadium as well. So just a little bit of context. But back to that PAI Capital thing, Jonesy. You know, As I mentioned, Tony Cotty came on. He did a two-hour feature-length podcast with us, which was absolutely superb. And that was one of our most listened to episodes of the season, understandably so. And, you know, a lot of those, that spike in listeners we got, a lot of them uh, carried on off the back of that. Um, I mean, even that in itself seemed reactionary, didn't it? Tony comes on and does a podcast with us, two hours long, talks sort of fairly candidly about uh, his love for West Ham and, uh, you know, and the PR capital. And he didn't say too much about them. And then days later, it's almost like, oh, look, you know, because it did quite a lot of traction, didn't it? On uh, like a few of our videos went viral and stuff on, on Twitter and on YouTube. Um, we've got some decent views and it's almost like, oh, oh, look, he's popular with West Ham. We'll get him on board. Uh, we're not... 100% sure on the timeline. I think there'd been some early discussions, to be fair, between the two parties, between Tony and PAI, before the podcast, like some initial contact, maybe. Um, but then afterwards, all of a sudden, like, you know, after that podcast, it's great for us. Obviously, it was great, and it was brilliant having Tony on. He was wonderful with us throughout, and none of this is in any way negative about Tony because he's been superb with us from the day we started the podcast, really. Um but it just seemed even that it was like, all right. So a few videos about it go viral. West Ham fans clearly love him. Oh, now we'll announce that he's on board. And again, massive appreciation to Tony. He gave us his first interview um, of anyone. The first interview he did after he confirmed the PAI capital 
that he was going to back them. He did it with us. So we're forever grateful for that. But from the Pyre Capital point of view, it just seemed like, it just seemed more amateur hour stuff, didn't it? It was more amateur hour stuff. Um, it was all very, it was all too public for my liking as well. Like everything, just everything they they did was in a really badly written statement. And it was all sort of hearsay and, you know, getting ex-players to do the talking for them. And it just, everything was amateur hour from the very beginning, right all the way to the very end when they announced that they were no longer going to, going to pursue the club at least until, you know, until the Sullivan was ready to sell. Even then it was just like, guys, just leave it now. Um, so thankfully they didn't, they were unsuccessful and we've got someone, the club isn't sold, but I know we'll get onto it, but we've, we've got a new investor that seems a little bit more, knows what he's doing. I think a little bit better than, than those guys. Yeah, exactly that, mate. And what about uh, on the pitch then, if you're obviously not um, interested in talking about the David Sullivan news anymore, which is absolutely shocking to me, but uh, the first game of the season started in brilliant, well, it didn't start in brilliant fashion because Callum Wilson put Newcastle 1-0 up after five minutes and it was like, here we go again. Jesse Lingard hadn't returned and you thought, oh God, here we go. Back to normal West Ham last season was just a flash in the pan. Um, but thanks to Aaron Cresswell, Saeed Benrahma, Thomas Suchek and Mikel Antonio, despite Jacob Murphy's goal for Newcastle, West Ham came away 4-2 winners. A great and entertaining start to the campaign. And then the Leicester game, 4-1 at home. Eight goals in two games for the Hammers. Pablo Funel, Saeed Benrahma and a Mikel Antonio brace. Um, far too much for Leicester, who scored for Yuri Tielemans and saw Aoze Perez sent off with five minutes to go in the first half. You were absolutely waxing lyrical after the game. It's the best atmosphere ever at London Stadium, which it obviously wasn't. It was just another good one on the list. Um, uh, and then the two-all draw with Crystal Palace capped off the month in a slightly frustrating fashion, I think. Uh, four nails and Antonio scored our goals. Conor Gallagher getting two. For Palace, uh, we went ahead twice and were pegged back twice. Great performance from Gallagher that game. Uh, what's on the pitch? What are your thoughts then on on that, including Mikel Antonio's um, reaching the the fifty goal milestone for the Hammers as well, which was great. Yeah, the, the Newcastle win was. Um, I won't go as far as say it was unexpected, but I, th- I, th- nah. I think the you're right when Wilson scores in what was, was it the third minute? You kind of go here we go again. Uh, mm. Um, but kind of set the tone for for what we've seen this first half of the, the new season, isn't it? And that Leicester game, at the time, still stand by it. Probably one of the best. Uh, you've already toned it down, haven't at, you? At, at you would stadium. still stand by it. Probably one of the best at the time. You said it was the best. I think it probably was. Yeah, yeah. I stand by it. I stand by it. And it's not anymore. You've changed that now, haven't you? It's, it's, it, You've I mean, since it, called it, it the Chelsea and the Liverpool one. It, it, it wasn't at the time. The Liverpool one tips it now. But at the time, it was because that was the first game that fans were allowed back in the ground. It's a yeah. full-capacity stadium. 59,901 59, in that day. It was, a, it was a, under the lights. Everyone was absolutely buzzing. Um, I think it was a Monday night. And, yeah. Oh, just absolutely bouncing. We end the game, top of the Premier League. Um, just a continuation of the end of last season. We've just 
started exactly the same way and it was great absolutely great and then brought back down to earth by not being able to beat Crystal Palace at home which, which was very <laughs> frustrating but we stayed top of the league despite yeah we did yeah so um but yeah a good month good start to the, good start to the season good month of August and um yeah the best was still to come wasn't it absolutely mate yeah absolutely uh September I mean this was when the real excitement began wasn't it of course the Europa League draw was made um, prior to, to September, and we were drawn against Dinamo Zagreb, Rapid Vienna and Genk in our group. And I think there was a, a sort of, yeah. perhaps there was a desire for a bigger team. I think in hindsight, I'm glad with the draw we got um, because there were still some great experiences and great games in there. But we made light work of the group and were able to get through. Uh, and after a nil-nil draw at St Mary's to kick off September on the 11th, uh, we dropped to fifth place by then, unfortunately. I've got a feeling, Jonesy, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've got a feeling that Crystal Palace game might have been the lunchtime kickoff on the Saturday. Therefore, yeah, we stayed first and then some other games happened uh, yep. because by the end of the Southampton game, we dropped all the way down to fifth after two draws on the bounce despite our phenomenal goal difference. Uh, so, yeah, the, the frustrating 0-0 mm-hmm. at Southampton, but then... Jonesy, the real fun started. Dinamo Zagreb away. There was all load of faff about how many fans would be allowed there if West Ham fans were going to be out of travel. This with all the COVID restrictions and all that sort of thing. Uh, but eventually, it all went ahead. Um, oh, the Mikel Antonio got sent off at that Southampton game as well, didn't he? Right at the end for a yep. really, really stupid tackle. Absolutely ridiculous. No need to make it. Nil-nil, lunge in the 95th minute to get a second yellow. Um, buffoonery of the highest order. But yeah, then Dinamo Zagreb in the Europa League, mate, away from home. Didn't go out to that one because it was all a little bit too short notice, but recorded a famous 2-0 win to kick off our group stage campaign in perfect fashion. Uh, then Manchester United visited the London Stadium and we lost 2-1. Jesse Lingard coming back to break our hearts. I mean, you literally could have written it, couldn't you? And then, of course, Mark Noble um, coming off the bench to take the penalty that would have earned us a draw right at the death and that backfiring. (laughs) Dramatic game, that one. Indeed, lost 2-1. But then uh, we redeemed ourselves literally just three days later when we went to Old Trafford in the League Cup and beat Man United 1-0 thanks to Manuel Lanzini's goal in front of 72,000 people the highest attendance, the whole, or the biggest crowd West Ham's players have played in in 2021. Then Leeds, we went to Ellen Road, won 2-1 there. Absolutely happy days before beating Rapid Vienna in our first ever home Europa League group stage game 2-0 at London Stadium in front of 50,000 people. Um, a busy month, James, that's for sure. Um, which was sort of the, the highlight for you in all of that? Because there was quite a few standouts. Obviously, the getting a European campaign off to a winning start was probably the highlight. Dynamo Zagreb, I, don't think, I think that was seen as our toughest, our toughest game away at Zagreb in the Europa League group stages. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thought, yeah, that's going to be our toughest game. And we, we made it look so easy, didn't we? Um, really, really strong performance. Dominated the ball from start to finish. Yeah. Um, Deccan Rice's goal. Um, you could pick the ball up at halfway line and just run through and then nutmeg the keeper for the goal was superb. 
and um, kind of set the tone for the rest of the group stage, didn't it? And yeah, yeah the Bradford game will always. I know. I'm looking at no, that's October. We'll get to that. The Man United Calm game. Down, Jesse, you're doing a me. I'm doing a you. Yeah, just, uh, the the Man United game was. I mean, everyone knew it was going to. As soon as Mark Noble came off the bench, they knew it was going to happen. Mark, mate, the, the, he was always going to so miss. many fronts, wasn't it? He was, he was always going to miss. Lingard was always going to score. Um, if ever a football game could be written with a script, it was that. Like, you know, sorry, you couldn't write it. You couldn't write it. You definitely couldn't. Verama 1 0 up. Cristiano Ronaldo equalising of all people. And I must admit, mate, it was good to see him. Great to see him back again. He's always been, you know, I've always I've always been a Ronaldo over Messi if, if you had to pick. I know they're both good. I can't be bothered to get into it now. It's a boring chat. But I've just always liked Cristiano Ronaldo, like, you know, and, and what he's done. Um, seen him a few times, love watching him play, and it was brilliant to see him back actually. Um, obviously, annoying that he scored and you want West Ham to win, but just to be able to say that because that'll be one a thing in you know in 50 years' time if we have grandchildren or anything like that, you'll be like, Oh, yeah, I watched Cristiano Ronaldo play. Um, and yeah, so good seeing him back, but yeah, Ronaldo made it one all, then Lingard comes off the bench, bends one in the top right corner, pretended he didn't want to celebrate, but obviously, did. Um, and then, yeah, Noble, I mean, well, how, how, do you even, how do you even put that into words, mate? You don't. Like, just Again, it was similar to that Arsenal game earlier on in the year where we freed you up and ruined it. It was just like, it was almost like a reminder that, I oh, don't forget, you're still West Ham, you know. You're doing well, <laughs> yeah. but you're still West Ham. So, yeah, kind of walked away from that game, like really frustrated, really annoyed with the way it panned out, but also... Mm not in the slightest bit of surprise in the way that it panned out at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, the, the other highlight though, uh, yeah, okay, we beat United in the League Cup, fine, but winning at least... First win at Old Trafford in 17 years, mate. Yeah, yeah, I think it almost went Sorry, under the 15, radar. Sorry, 15, I keep getting that wrong, 15. It almost went under the radar a little bit. I'm not too sure why, but the Leeds game for me... Uh, winning that in the last minute. Uh, Ellen Road's yeah. always been a rubbish place for us to go. We won there behind closed doors the season before. Yeah. But I was worried about that game because full Ellen Road. Um, it's always it can always be a bit of a bit of a horrible place to go. But yeah, okay, we had to wait wait until the last minute to get the winner. But winning there in a, a full Ellen Road, I don't think can be underestimated. Um, and the scenes, the fans celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> Were, were incredible, so that was one of the one of the highlights. But it was just a good month all round. I mean, Man United defeat aside, it's a really solid solid month of football. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And then yeah, capped it off with that home nil, uh, home two nil win against Rapid Vienna. Declan Rice um, scoring the first before Saeed Ben Rama's sumptuous effort right at the death uh, wrapped up the points and saw us top of our. Europa League group still where we stayed for the duration of the campaign into October. Uh, actually, Jonesy, yeah, sorry, my bad. I'm supposed to take a break here. We're doing it by three-month section. So uh, you'll have to wait a couple of seconds and hear the little come on you irons jingle before we get into October next. So, Jonesy, uh, October started in annoying fashion. Uh, Brentford at home lost 2-1. Last-minute winner for them. I took my mate, um, his little boy, for his first ever game. So, I will always remember that. 
for that reason. It was an absolute delight having him with me. He was loving every minute of it. The result was just frustrating as hell. And it put us ninth. And there was a bit of meh, sort of annoying feeling after that, wasn't there? Yeah. I, yeah, it's just, it was frustrating because we'd started the season so well. And we'd, we'd kind of we'd bounced back from that annoying Man United result by winning three on the bounce in all competitions. And then like you end up losing in the last minute to Brentf- Brentford at home. Like Brent like nice no, no disrespect to Brentford, you know, they had a good start to the season, they're in a bit of a good place. But you know, that's two defeats in a row where you've lost to late goals like, and you probably shouldn't have done shouldn't have conceded those goals and mm. just really annoying. Um it's just blotches on the on the record sheet that cause I think at that time, what was it? That was only our second defeat in fourteen games yeah. in all competitions, going back to the season before of May. Yeah. So it's like you know, keep that record up, right? and you're, you're losing to last minute goals. But I think that puts ninth in the Premier League, and suddenly we're slipping into relegation back territory again, which we're kind of used to. <laughs> not from being ninth yeah 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 well look the uh, October certainly got better after that mate in fact it couldn't have gone any better we went to Goodison Park and won 1-0 thanks to Angelo Bonner's header in the Premier League then we won 3-0 at home to Genk in the Europa League before a 1-0 win over Tottenham at the London Stadium in the Prem and then how the hell we did this I do not know beating Manchester City at home in the Carling or the Carabao Cup, excuse me, their first defeat in the competition for five years before a 4-1 win at Villa Park. Now that, mate, from the 22nd of September to the 31st of October there, I know it included the Brentford defeat, but even that, as I've already mentioned, was was special for me for different reasons. That that spell there from beating Dinamo Zagreb away on the 16th of September to Aston Villa on the 31st of October, we've got some big games in there. We only lost two of them. And that was my favourite part of the whole of 2021 for me. Yeah, it was a good spell. The the City game in the cut, like almost, it was a great, great result. Great result. But at the time it felt like, yeah, but this is kind of what we do now. Like, ah, that felt special, that one. I mean, it was a special result and no one saw it coming. Um, but when it did come and it did happen and we, Ben Rama scored the winning penalty, it was almost like, I can't believe we've done that, but it's kind of what we do now. Like This is this is the West Ham that we are now. Um, yeah. Like, we're, we're in the top four of the Premier League. You know, we've beat, we've already knocked Man United out of the cup, but now we've knocked City out of the cup for the first time in five years. We've just beaten Spurs in the Premier League. Um, you know, this is West Ham. Like we've we've arrived. We're we're here. Yeah, okay, we finished sixth last year, but now we want to go a little bit better. We know we're we're not just a flash in the pan. That's what it felt like to me. And then you go to Villa Park and you smash Villa Villa four one. Mm. Um, and I think it was yeah that that period that you that you mentioned was almost like a statement period from West Ham. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the two silly defeats to to United and Brentford in between, but overall it was a statement period. For, for for West Ham, I think. Of course, it was eleven games, two like two defeats. The rest were victories, or albeit one on penalties. Both the defeats are by the odd goal, and they're both like last minute goals as well. Um, yeah, I just thought it showed the complete strength of the team. And the best bit about it for me, mate, the best bit about it 
is how that we did it all without Lingard. And that's no slight on Lingard at all. Is that, I mean, I think there was a belief that, oh, you know, without him, then it would be as good. And I was disappointed like some when he didn't come back. But ultimately, it proved we could do it without him. Said Ben Rama was stepping up, wasn't he? And almost being sort of like doing, filling his shoes, basically, which was which was brilliant. But um, yeah, when it's a period like that, when a, a win against Tottenham kind of gets overshadowed, 1-0 thanks to Mikel Antonio's goal. When that kind of gets overshadowed, it you know that things are going well, don't you? Um, the, the records speak for themselves. First win at Old Trafford in 15 years. Uh, beating Man City, knocking them out of the cup for the first time in in five years, continuing our perfect record in our first ever Europa League group stage campaign and sprinkling another couple of decent Premier League away wins. It felt like proper dreamland stuff, but that was easily my favourite spell of the year. The, the January bit was good, but we didn't know where we were then or, or you know, what the potential was. But um, yeah, that was absolutely my my favourite bit. Jonesy, November kicked off with another landmark occasion for me. Uh, Genk away in the Europa League. Uh, I managed to get out there and go with my dad. And again, proper bucket list stuff that was, mate. Lifelong dream to watch West Ham away from home in Europe. The win would have almost made it too perfect, I think. The fact that we drew two all and the Thomas Suchek own goal. At the last minute, um, saw us only draw our first game in the Europa League where we hadn't won. Um, yeah, and it was another thing, mate, a bit like we talked about with the Euros earlier. I wasn't bothered afterwards. I went to go and see West Ham away in Europe with my dad. And it was a really entertaining game of football. The atmosphere was good. Our seats were good. The whole thing was just dreamland stuff. And yeah, it was annoying, but obviously the result didn't look like it was going to be too vital at that stage as well, which helped. Uh, so that was that was exciting stuff. Obviously, the bloke losing his finger um, was one of the highlights after that game. Well, not highlights, sorry, the headlines after that game. Definitely not a highlight. Um, but all in all, just yeah, it was a brilliant one. And I'll never forget that, mate. Never in all of my life. So that was wonderful. Uh, Daniel Kratinsky, He's in 27% uh, investment, the Czech billionaire who's invested in the club. That was announced in November as well. We also beat Liverpool 3-2 at home at the London Stadium in a proper game for the ages, that one as well. A 1-0 defeat away to Wolves at Molyneux before we wrapped up um, the Europa League qualification with a 3-0, uh, sorry, a 2-0 win away at Rapid Vienna. Uh, which me and Jonesy were going to go to, along with loads of other West Ham fans. There was, first of all, a fan ban because of what happened at Genk with fans rushing the turnstiles. But then uh, coronavirus and uh, lockdown in Austria meant that we couldn't even, me and Jonesy couldn't even go for our little uh, romantic weekend. We were just going to have a sightseeing tour and watch a game in a pub. Couldn't even do that either. So I had to cancel that, lose a few quid on the flights as well. But I did turn 30. In November as well, James mixed in amongst all that uh, before the month finished with a one, uh, sorry, a two-one defeat at the Etihad. What's it's sort of quite recent history now that mate um, and the, the the slide, the sort of dodgy form had started to creep in, I suppose. But then when the Liverpool win was in there, um, it sort of you didn't really notice it at the time. It just felt like a okay, this leveled itself out again, but we'll go again in December. Yeah, I think I was just looking at it now, I was looking at the record and that that Liverpool game, winning that made it just two defeats in 20 games in all competitions, dating back to the 15th of May. Yeah. 
Um, we overtook them. We, we leapfrogged them into third in the Premier League and we just thought, yeah, you know, like I said, but the City game, just like, yeah, this is what we're doing now. This is this is West Ham United. And then you follow that up with a to Wolves and then it kind of begins to slow down a little bit. But you know, the the big highlight was obviously securing securing qualification into into the last sixteen of the of the Europa League with the game to spare for that win in Vienna, which is obviously disappointing we couldn't get there. But um no, it was great that we were even in the group stage. I don't think many people expected us to make it look as easy as we did in the end. Um, part of me is a little bit frustrated that we didn't do it hundred percent record, which you know is what it is. Every cloud and all that, but um, but yeah, that's the highlight for me. And then obviously the Kutinski investment, better than PAI. Uh, knows what he's doing. Owned a football club, still owns a football club over in Czech Republic. Uh, um, knows what he's doing, I think, from the football side of things, and it's not a full takeover, so it's just more, more an investment. And no, um, no typos in any of his statements. No, I ty- no typos in his statements. He did a really good interview with the Standard, um, outlining, you know, what isn't going to happen straight away, which I thought was important, just to sort of, you know, relax some of the fans' expectations, who may have been thinking he was going to he was going to spend a lot in in yeah, January. Yeah. He said that's not going to happen. Um, it's, they're going to take time they're going to spend but not spend big um, so yeah happy with that good month all round in November but there were obviously signs that the, it was all going to start start to get a little bit not as great as it had been yeah I thought I think that it, I did I generally wasn't worried at the end of the month we were still fourth in the league and the Europa League thing you know we, we'd, we'd secured qualification so pragmatically and contextually it looked Really good still. Uh, I think it's obviously December, which we'll get on to shortly, um, that ruined it. But I think James Contender as well uh, in November for Tweet of the Year um, from me when just, uh, I don't know, about five minutes before the Genk game started, I just sort of put a tweet out. wanted to show off a little bit the, the fact I was there um, and having an absolutely superb time. Uh, so I thought, uh, take a picture of the ground. Uh, I was really proud of West Ham's record in the Europa League stage, group stage up until then. So I tweeted a few minutes before the kickoff, uh, a couple of pictures of the inside the stadium and all that. West Ham looking to go, uh, become the first English team ever to go through, um, to get through a Europa League group stage go, uh, group stage campaign without conceding a goal. Uh, four minutes into the game, Joseph Pantsil, uh, not sure if he's a relation of John or not, Scores to put Genk one new up, and I tweeted straight afterwards. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think after that, I said that you know if we did get to Vienna, then you I'll be banning you from Twitter or taking your phone away from you in Vienna, just in case yeah. you, you you got you, know, you you ruined that one. But we weren't there in the end. No, exactly. Yeah, very good. We weren't able to go, and that Jonesy brings us on to the month we are in at the moment. Busy game. Fixture-wise for West Ham, of course, especially with that um, final Europa League group stage campaign against Dinamo Zagreb. But the fixtures uh, thus far, Brighton uh, 
and Hove Albion, and I don't even want to talk about that. Why not? It's absolutely ridiculous that we still can't be flipping Brighton. Um, Brighton at home, draw, and then beating Chelsea on the fourth. What a win that was, 3 2. Uh, the Dinamo Zagreb game at London Stadium, our first defeat of that group stage campaign with all of our kids, lost 1-0, of course, but what a goal it was to win it for the Croatians. Then we drew 0-0 away at Turf Moor with Burnley, and that's when the slider started, really, a 2-0 defeat away to Arsenal in the Premier League uh, before a 2-1 defeat at Tottenham, uh, 2-1 in the League Cup. The other night, and at the time of recording this, those are all the games. We still haven't played Southampton on Boxing Day yet. But, Jonesy, those games there, very recent history. We've covered up on the pod recently. Uh, we've remained fourth in the Premier League and then fifth after the drop down to fifth after the Arsenal game. It's where we remain at time of recording this podcast. Most people who listen will know our thoughts on, on all those games that have just gone because they've happened this month. What's your standout so far? How are you feeling about it uh, before we have a little bit of a look back at that Tottenham game? Well, obviously the Chelsea Chelsea wins the highlight. Um, I found it interesting that the Premier League have come out and admitted to the club that they got the penalty decision wrong in the Burnley game and shouldn't have since. they did. Off in the in the and it wasn't a penalty in the Arsenal game. It's just um, ridiculous that flipping they, well winds me up. Just keep ca- shut up about it afterwards, isn't it? They, ca- they came out and admitted that both were wrong, but they still said that Soufal had to had to serve his one match suspension against Tottenham in the cup, um, which I find absolutely bizarre. I know. What's the point of saying anything? What's like, for me? It was the equivalent of of them saying to someone has been convicted of a crime going oh we've just realized that actually you didn't commit the crime but you still got to serve the sentence yeah exactly like, well, hang on you've just admitted that you shouldn't have sent the player off so why is he still suspended for our next so game? yeah we've sent you to jail mate so it's a bit of a ball like getting you out so we're just going to leave you there till the end of your sentence if that's all right <laughs> it's like what are you doing <laughs> the, the whole thing's the whole thing's just <clears throat> shambles i mean again are we surprised that it's a shambles given well, but, um, the beginning of the season are. was really good, mate. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like it was really good, but there's there's always potential for shambolic episodes like this. Mm. Um, and the fact that you know they've even come out and admitted that they were wrong, but then still not done anything about it. It's like I'm not saying change the result or or let's replay the game. It's just like well, actually, yeah. just make the right decision. Just don't let him be suspended for the game. At least but, overturn the ban, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like come on, but. Other than that, yeah, the the Chelsea game's the highlight. But it's beginning to slip a little bit. I thought the performance against Tottenham in the Cup was a lot better than what we've seen over the last few weeks. I thought the, the yeah. performance was a lot better. Um, give me give me a lot of a lot of prom- uh, a lot of hope that actually we're going to come out the other end of this little blip and and get back onto good form if we can end the season well with a win against Southampton I think that's at the end of sorry, the, the year well with a win over Southampton then that would be good but yeah I think the few games before that you can't really count the Zagreb game because it was you know it's a bit it was almost a C team wasn't it the play yeah of course yeah it does, can't really but, count and, that. And that was a, yeah it was brilliant mate to be fair to see the youngsters do so well it was and every single one of them did well I thought, you know, yeah. Harrison Ashby's even stayed in, in contention. I know, obviously, injuries yeah. have helped him. He looks good. He looked good against Spurs. Um, yeah. And I'm sure one or two others as well will get the more opportunities as the season goes on. So it's good for them. Great to see them play. But you can't really count that as a, a as 
a fixture in the current blip that we're in. We can't. You almost got to write that one off a little bit. Yeah, it just the, didn't Brighton, the Brighton count, game, it? the Brighton game, the Burnley game, the Arsenal game. Just performances weren't great anyway. No. Um, and then the Tottenham games. You know, it was. I think we were unlucky in the end. Yeah, definitely, mate. Yeah, I mean, for just looking at it, it's, it's the worst run of form of the year. I know you can't really count the Zagreb game, but even if you write that one off, we. We, we haven't gone three games without a win all season. Yeah. So we've now gone four, if you're including the Dynamo's a Greb game, which technically I suppose you have to, but like I say, it doesn't count. But even if you just take Burnley, Arsenal and Tottenham, it's the first time in 2021 we've played three matches and not won one of them. So I think it's easy to feel a little bit flat at the moment, but we shouldn't at all, mate. We shouldn't at all, because it has been a phenomenal 12 months of football for West Ham United. Josie, you mentioned it there. It's just like a nice link to it. We went to Tottenham the other night, didn't we? Me and you. Yep. The first hilarious thing that you pointed out to me during the game, uh, we've known each other and been mates for, for pushing on three years now um, since we've been doing the, the podcast and the radio show and all that sort of thing. Become firm friends uh, as well as podcast colleagues. And that was the first football game ever we've watched together. Oh, sorry. First West Ham game. Well, and football game. But first West Ham game ever we've watched together, wasn't it? Yeah. We've never even watched a game in the pub together. No, maybe not. No, maybe not. not like I remember. Maybe like one been on in the pub before the Love Sport radio days. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um so yeah, it was nice to nice to have a first. Scratch that one off the list, mate. But yeah, we could we could do anything. We couldn't even show our emotions during the game either, could we? No, that's right. No, sat in the uh, uh, the tickets I managed to get hold of were in the uh, in the Tottenham end. Uh, I say unfortunately, I sent James on the way there. I've been to I've been watched West Ham in the home end of away grounds about six times I would say about three three at Arsenal three at Man United and then one at Tottenham the other night uh, I've done it at Tottenham once before as well and we've lost every single time so uh, whether that's just a bit of a I'm just a bit of a jinx or not but yeah I think Jonesy it's fair to say that I did a better job of blending in with the home fans than you did I don't know why'd you say that well okay I say that because uh, first of all, when Tottenham's first goal went in, uh, I at least stood up and did a half-hearted clap. You just stood there with your arms folded, looking furious. Um, <laughs> and when, when Jared Bowen's goal went in for the equaliser, which we were obviously both delighted about, I clenched my fist. My fist, hands were already in my pockets. I clenched my fist and looked up to the sky and shook my head, so at least made it look like I was furious about it. Uh, meanwhile, you bent down, clearly beaming from ear to ear in your seat, as if like the, the most inconspicuous celebration ever. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I, sure, I, sure I saw a clenched fist at one stage. And when Tottenham's uh, second one went in, same again. I stood up at least and did a half clap once again. You just stood up looking absolutely furious, hands in your pockets. Um, yeah, no, I mean there was no cheering Tottenham's goals from any of us. Let's be, let's have it right. But uh, yeah, I, I don't I'm know how you brought yourself to clap, but I just—it's half-hearted, mate. I absolutely, I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't even bring myself. To, standing up was was hard enough. <laughs> um, not the geezer next to me didn't stand up with the goals and he was a Tottenham fan I mean granted, really? granted he was a little bit old and probably couldn't stand up for very long anyway yeah, yeah. but 
I mean, I probably would have blended in had I not stood up, but I stood up anyway, but there was no way I was clapping. And um, I thought I hid the, the celebration for the Boeing goal really well. Wow, oh, mate, that was my, a nice play. You like bent I, down in your seat. I was seat, wearing a turtleneck. Like... I had the turtleneck rolled up above my mouth as if it was a mask. Bent down, screamed a little bit. <laughs> I remember squeezing your knee a little bit as well. Just going, I can't believe yeah. you scored. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like I make no apologies for that. Like, no one got them done. <laughs> the most blatant thing I've ever seen. Oh no, yeah, what a what a guy. No, you're right, the performance was good. Um the stadium the stadium is, is okay. Um, you know, the, the waxy lyrical about it. Uh, we worked out that West Ham's cost two million a year, uh, and Spurs cost a billion to build. West Ham would need to um, be at their stadium for 500 years before it had <laughs> cost the club the same amount Tottenham's did. Um, and I don't know if it's really worth it, mate, just for a, a, a sort of nice warm brew dog pub inside, do you? Nah, I mean, I mean it's, it's quite nice in, inside. Like the bar area is good. It's good you can have a beer after the game as well. Yeah, that's it's affordable, good. Yeah, but that good. nothing special. Nothing special. Nah, I mean, nah, I've seen, I've seen better cheese factories. <laughs> uh, Jamesy, one we'll, we'll sort of sign off then. Um, what did you make of um, the the Tottenham? Because you know, obviously, Tottenham fans don't care about West Ham, do they? Um, having experienced the game in and among the Tottenham fans, um, what, what are your thoughts on that stance? I think it's fair to say that Tottenham fans absolutely despise West Ham. Detest. It's West like Ham. literally, and if if. Anyone listening knows a Spurs fan and that Spurs fan ever tries to tell you that West Ham are irrelevant to them, don't care, Arsenal are their biggest rivals, then you know they're lying. You know they're lying. The amount of... Like, we heard, I mean... Vitriol. Very, very horrible things said about our football club and, our, and us fans. Um, yeah. yeah. Very, very, not very nice words have been said. Um, but like even when we're queuing up for the train and like even people talk amongst themselves... And, some fans can up just absolutely buzzing that we beat in West Ham. You know, yeah, this, there, that. I'm so delighted. Don't care that we've got Chelsea in the semi-finals. At least we knocked them out. Yeah, it's yeah. like oh, but I thought we were irrelevant. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just like, yeah, they care about us, and we've now got proof because you know they were dancing about West Ham getting battered in the bar after. Yeah, just nicking nicking another club's yeah. song shop. They were seeing West Ham get battered everywhere they go, and they were dancing and hugging each other, and you know it was like they just won the cup. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than the quarter final. Yeah. Not sure who's the irrelevant team anymore, to be fair, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, they haven't got any European football to look forward to like us, have they? So different That's priorities, it. mate. But yeah, look, good occasion. Um yeah, and just a bit of a shame. West Ham couldn't get a win. But that wraps up mine and Jonesy's uh, football matches so far this season. Um yeah, what a twelve months it has been. Absolutely superb on the pitch. Couldn't be prouder of the team. Uh, some great results. And you know what? Say, so, I know we're in a bit of a weird bit of form at the moment. Hopefully, by the time you listen to this, we'll have got a win over Southampton on Boxing Day, which means it doesn't look as bad. Look at where we are in the Premier League table. We're in the last 16 of a European competition. We beat Manchester United and Manchester City in the League Cup to get to the quarterfinal and lost by the odd goal against Tottenham. <clears throat> the quadruple might not be on, but the treble still is. So don't worry. Stay with us. We'll have the end of year awards next.
So, Jonesy, the end of year awards. We just did two last year and I want to keep it simple again this season. I want your player of the year and your moment of the year. First of all, I'll have your player, please. So, since you asked me this, you asked me last night and I've been thinking about it and um, it couldn't be Jesse Lingard because he's only been around for half the year. Although he did enough in the first half of the year to warrant it. Um, I was thinking about Craig Dawson just because he's just been monumental when he has played. But I'm going to give it to Mick, Mick and Antonio. I think breaking the, the club record for Premier League goals um, and building on the twenty, the great 2020 that he had um, after the pandemic or after Project Restart, I think he's been superb. He's tailed off recently, but he's my player of the year. Well played, Jonesy. Well, you know what? Interestingly enough, that is exactly who you gave... Player of the year to last season, you gave it to Mikel Antonio. And I must admit, I think he would have been in contention for me if it wasn't for his recent form. I've been really disappointed in that. Um, and I think if he'd shown a bit more, then perhaps I would have considered giving it to him. I am also giving uh, my Player of the Year award to the same person who I gave it to for 2020, and that is Declan Rice. I know it seems like an yeah. obvious one, and I appreciate you going for Mikel Antonio. And I understand why you have, but we haven't seen a player like Declan Rice at West Ham for many, many a year. And it's a joy to watch him play every week. The way he conducts himself is is superb. He was an integral part of England's run to the Euros. He's a special, special player and a special lad as well. The way he goes about his business is, is outstanding and to be admired. Uh, and the fact that he, he's captained the club at such a young age in Mark Noble's absence been by far and away the best player in almost every single one of the games we've played. Um, so, yeah, I can look no further than Declan. And, uh, yeah, I hope we're talking about um, enjoying another 12 months of seeing him play in Claret and Blue this time next year. That remains to be seen. But for now, I'm just enjoying watching him play for the club because it is superb and I absolutely love him. So, yeah, my player of the year goes to Declan Rice. Jonesy's goes to Mikel Antonio. I wonder, James... Um, if there'll be three consecutive years next year, because that is who you uh, gave it to last year. You reckon there's much chance of that, Declan Rice and Antonio being player of the year next year? Because I can't see it. No, I don't think so. Um, Antonio's probably got more of a chance than Deck, but yeah, I can't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine we'll be talking oh, that about. Do you think Declan Rice is going to go before next year? Horrible. I mean, I That's do. End. Unfortunately, yeah. Let's not end the year on that note, Jonesy. Right, mate. Uh, give me your moment of the year then. Another one so difficult, particularly because there's been so many. Um, like, literally, you could... I, I literally struggled with this one a lot. It could have been yeah. a Chelsea win a couple of weeks ago. It could have been a Liverpool win. But it could have been Mikel Antonio breaking the record um, and holding up his cardboard cut out of himself, which I still look back on and just think it was incredibly cringy but fun at the same time. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it to the the win over Southampton on the final day of last season to to secure top six finish to to cement it. I think we only needed a point that day anyway, but to just to so we knew we'd finished in the top six and we secured group stage Europa League football for the following year. I think for me is the moment that I will look back on and remember really, really fondly from 2021 because it kind of, it capped off what had been a great first six months and yeah, and then kind of set the tone for the rest of the year. 
Yeah, I like that, mate. I do like that. And again, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Historic and it's so important for West Ham, the things that never happened before. Um, I'm going to... That's definitely up there. I know exactly what you mean. And securing it was great. Um, I'm going to go... I've, I've got two that I really genuinely can't choose between, mate. Um, and that is uh, the winning penalty going in against Manchester City in the League Cup. Uh, I was, as mentioned already, the Brentford game, I went with my mate's little boy, who is absolutely brilliant. I love him so much. Um, he's seven now. He's start getting back into or getting into West Ham properly. And he's, he's at that age where he loves it. He's like a sponge and he absorbs everything. The Brentford game was his first game. And that was great. But uh, his second one was Manchester City's first ever night game. Uh, he's the son of my best friend. So I was there with my best mate, his little boy, who I love to pieces, and my dad uh, for a night game at London Stadium. We knocked Manchester City out of a competition they haven't lost in for five years in a penalty shootout, which West Ham never, ever win. And uh, yeah, William, who's the, the name of, of my mate's little boy, he said just for the shootout, he said he turned to me and he said, "Ah, oh, Will, I don't like this. My legs are shaking because he was so nervous about it. And the joy on his face was matched equally by that mm-hmm. on my, my mates and my dad's uh, after Ben Rama scored that winning penalty. Uh, and so that moment was, was just joyous and magical seeing him be there for it. It was his first West Ham win. That was great. And the one I've mentioned already uh, is the Genk away, just being at an away Europa League game with my dad, who I've always gone to football with, um, seeing West Ham score away in Europe. So I know that's a bit of a cop-out, mate. Um, I can't really pick between them. Uh, and they're, they're, they're a combination because football's about people you love, isn't it? And the people you go with and the experiences you have. It's as much about that for me, particularly for West Ham fans. It's really about the glory. So a combination of that, um, just being there with special people, and uh, and the special things that West Ham did on the pitch at the same time. So yeah, those those are my two moments. I'm afraid. I hope you forgive me as it's Christmas time, mate. Having two rather than one. No, I think it's fair. Um, obviously, completely understands the, the the city one with the little and because for see, I I dream I dream of one day being able to take my son to a game and him experience the the highs and lows of West Ham like like we have over our time. Be able to see his face when you know, when we win stuff and win games and stuff like that. So I'm 100% behind that one, mate. I think it's a, I think it's a good one. Absolutely, mate. Right. Jonesy, that's us for 2021. Um, it's been brilliant, mate. First of all, just just give me some final thoughts. Before we do all the, the wrapping up, the, the housekeeping and say goodbye, just sum up. Just give me some final thoughts for... The year, generally, whatever you want to talk about, whatever it is, um, yeah, just 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 say some a last sort of message or some last words for 2021 from you. Well, I mean, we've said it all really in this show. I think you know, there's not many more words that can sum up how good this year's been, both for for West Ham on the pitch, off the pitch, but also for the podcast. I think you know. It's just been a memorable year, both on and off the pitch, for, for everyone involved. And um, I think, from my point of view, I'd like to thank everyone for for still listening to the pod and sticking by us and all the great messages we said at the beginning of the show. You know, all the great messages we get, we love it. Um, and you know, tune in every week and, and listen to my boring voice and and me and Will every now and then disagreeing on on stuff that goes on at the club. It's, it's great and love doing it. And obviously, mate, love doing it with you. Um, 
if I didn't, I would have stopped a long time ago. So yeah. um, still love doing it and really looking forward to seeing what 2022 brings us and um, for the podcast, but also probably more importantly for the for the, for the club as well. Because I think it'd be, it's getting very exciting um, to see where, where we can go as a football club and a podcast. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I totally echo those sentiments. Um, you've been a great pal to me this year. And, yeah, I mean, we're going to have to sort that out, mate. We, we're going to have to watch some more West Ham games together, aren't we? Yeah. What, like, at first, it just hit me the other night when you said it. I was like, how the hell? We've literally chatted about West Ham together every week for two hours. And we haven't yeah. watched a game together. We'll have to address that next year, mate, for sure. Get to a few more Hammers games together. But, yeah, you've been, uh, it's been great doing it with you this year. Um, nice and constant. Uh, the two of us, as it's been from the beginning, looking forward to keeping it going next year, like you say. Uh, it's been phenomenal from a West Ham point of view, but for the podcast point of view as well, echo James' sentiments. Thanks to all of you guys at home. Don't forget, if you don't already, you can follow us on Twitter at We Are underscore West Ham or on Instagram at We Are West Ham Pod. Facebook, just search the We Are West Ham podcast. We're on YouTube at the We Are West Ham podcast as well. Subscribe to the pod. Give us five stars. Write a review. And more importantly, tell your friends. Do us a favour, actually. Uh, at Christmas, if you're at Christmas, surely you're going to have a loose end this time around. If you don't already, follow us on those social media channels that I, I've just said. Do us a favour. Go to Twitter now, at We Are underscore West Ham. If you've got a Twitter account, hit the follow button. Instagram, do the same. We Are West Ham pod. Just go and follow us over there. We Are West Ham podcast on Facebook. And YouTube, uh, subscribe to the YouTube. I think if, you, if you're if you only going to do one, do the YouTube one because James puts a lot of effort into that um, this mm. season. It has grown and grown. Like he said, 500 subscribers is more than I thought. And that's nowhere near the amount of people who listen to this podcast every week. So um, if you're one of those who's got a YouTube account or whatever, but you don't currently subscribe, do us a favour, go over there, subscribe. If you can, link up with us on all those social media platforms. That'll be great. Um, yeah, if you're a festive loose end, you've had a couple of Baileys, leave us a review. Uh, we've got 70 already now, which I didn't realise the other day. And again, that is an absolute fraction of the amount of people um, that download and listen to this podcast every week. So if you've got time, link us up on social media this Christmas New Year period. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes if that's where you listen. Uh, and thanks again, really. Thanks for listening all this year. It's been the best 12 months of football in my life West Ham United finish it fifth in the Premier League through to the last 16 of the Europa League unfortunately out of the Carabao Cup at the hands of Tottenham but having beaten Manchester United at Old Trafford for the first time in 15 years and beaten Manchester City in a competition they haven't lost in for five years on the way that was a journey in itself we got the FA Cup to come in January the chance of a mouthwatering European fixture God knows what memories we're going to be able to create in 2022. We, of course, all want the squad to be added to, but let's just wait and see. First of all, before we worry about January and transfers, just reflect, if you can, hopefully this podcast let you do that this week, but just look back and reflect and drink it all in. Enjoy it. Think of exactly what we've done, what we've achieved as a club this year and as a fan base. I reiterate it again what Jonesy said. Thanks so much for listening this year. It's been brilliant. Thanks so much for getting in touch in whatever way you have. Thanks if you've contributed at all, if you're any of the journalists and guests we've had. It's been an absolute blast. We're looking forward to cracking on and continuing with it in 2022 with your support. Up the hammers. West Ham are massive everywhere they go. And we'll see you next year. Yeah!
This week's episode was sponsored by footballprizes.co.uk where you can win some priceless pieces of signed football memorabilia each and every week. In this week's draw, you can win a fantastic signed and framed Dean Ashton shirt. Tickets are just £4.95 each and just 99 tickets will be sold, which gives you a fantastic chance of winning. The competition ends on Tuesday the 28th of December at 7.30pm and the draw will be made an hour later live on the Football Prizes Facebook page. There's been some fantastic signed pieces from Paolo Di Canio, Declan Rice, Vladimir Soufal, Jared Bowen, Tony Cotty and Saeed Benrahma and so many more up for grabs since their launch. So head on over to footballprizes.co.uk to check them out. And we here at We Are West Ham would just like to thank Football Prizes for their fantastic support of the podcast in 2021 and look forward to it carrying on long into next year. Happy New Year, everyone. From me, Will and James. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. Podcast Network.